This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman. And Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at Kevin Kautzman and at Brad Kelly. All right, we're back with another action-packed, fun-filled episode of the podcast about the dark side of creativity, art of darkness. I'm Kevin Couchman, joined by my partner in crime, Brad Kelly. Brad, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I am uh, locked and loaded and ready to go. And uh, man, I just realized it's how much fun it is to uh, not be the guy running the show. And uh, <laughs> yeah. now it's just like I'm live behind an art of darkness episode, so it's great. Yeah, when I do these episodes and I'm on deck or I'm I'm, I'm at bat rather, yeah. uh, I do get a little bit of stage fright before oh, I yeah. get into it. Believe it or not, I get the <laughs> yeah. little butterflies. I, oh yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's gonna be all right. Yeah. We're uh, <laughs> we're joined by somebody who knows the stage very well, Blake Hammond, a, a stand-up comic. Blake, how are you? I am great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Talk about Bill. Yeah, we're gonna talk about uh, William. William Melvin Hicks. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. Melvin. It's Melvin. Yeah, we're going to get into okay. it. Yeah. Okay. He, that was, uh, <laughs> I love it. Kind of the first joke he made on Letterman was about his own name. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. And Blake, for, for people who don't know you, where in the world uh, are you located? And I guess tell us a little bit about what you got going on. Uh, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I, uh, I just recorded my first Amazon special. It's going to be a half hour. I'll probably be out in the summertime. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man. I'm a, yeah, that's, I'm just a touring comic. I just got back from Louisville today and, uh, yeah, dude, that's pretty much what I got going on. Right. Right. <laughs> just, a, just a touring comic yeah. with an Amazon, an Amazon special coming out. Not yeah, a, right. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty yeah, cool, no man. Good. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, awesome. that's fantastic. And people can find you on the bird website, right? Is it your yes, name? Yes. Or it's Big at, Rad Machine, at, right? At Big Red Machine, yeah, on everything, uh, which is probably dumb of me. But yes, you could also type my name too, Blake Hammond. It'll probably come up. Uh, oh, that's because so, yeah. you're. I was wondering what that name was. Is that because you're a Cincinnati guy? Yeah, it was okay. a Cincinnati thing, and I made it before I started stand up, and then I never really thought to change it. And sure. uh, now, yeah, I should probably I probably should have changed it. But, yeah, it works. Uh, <laughs> it works. Yeah, it's a little brand, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Fun. All right. Well, I mean, we should get right into it. I think we already mentioned uh, that we're doing the episode about about Bill Hicks. Um, and uh, Brad, have you heard the news? Uh, I don't know. No, I guess Today, not. young men on acid realize that all matter is merely energy condensed into a slow <laughs> vibration. We're all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death and life is only a dream where we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. <laughs> it's a good warm up, right? Bill Hicks. Yes. The great oh, yeah. Bill Hicks. And, yeah. and uh, I've been a huge fan since I was a teenager. Since I was in high school, we were talking about this uh, pre-production, talking about Tool and the great album Anima and their yeah. fandom of Bill and all the rest of it. And so for me, this is a really fun episode to do. Uh, I, I've always loved that little bit about oh, yeah. <laughs> objective, right? Yeah, I've had yeah. some great 
killer times on drugs. Why is every news story a bad story? All of that. So just tremendous. And uh, I've got some great material in front of me, but let's start with a classic uh, Art of Darkness question. And I think this one will go uh, to Brad. And the question is, what do you know about uh, uh, Bill Hicks? Well, I know a little bit. I, I'm a I'm a fan as well. I haven't done, done the deep dive of just kind of watched the, the specials, maybe not even all of them. Um, but great comedian from the state of Texas. Um, sort of definitely had an edge, kind of in the school of maybe a George Carlin, I guess you would call sort of a predecessor. Um, but uh, yeah, edgy and smart and provocative and hilarious and. Uh, um, i surprised we're doing this episode because we only do dead subjects. And Bill went on to have a career, he changed his name, to have a career running a <laughs> alternative media empire. Al- Al- Turning the most, frogs. Yeah, most people, know him, most people know him as Alex Jones. So ah, I guess... Okay. I guess since he made such a career shift, it, it, it counts. He's a legit candidate for the show. So Perfect. And I, <laughs> that allows me to really gently nudge the fact that we do ask for people to support us on Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash art of dark pod. You get with every episode, an extra 20 or 30 minute bonus episode. We call those after dark along with some other things that we're cooking up for the Patreon subscribers. The bonus story for today is going to uh, involve our friend Blake here and a little bit of research he did uh, around this notion that uh, William Melvin Hicks is, uh, is indeed uh, Alex Jones. All right. Friend of the yeah. show, Alex Jones. Yeah, friend of the show. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Alex Jones. <laughs> and, I, and I will, to be entirely clear, I will hint at sort of a bit of the narrative that that slots into that conspiracy theory of conspiracy theories, because yeah. like most all conspiracy theories, it doesn't completely come out of left field. It's just plausible enough mm-hmm. that you could kind of scratch your head and go, hmm, well, maybe he right. did want to, maybe this was yeah. a character he created. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're always at Art of Dark Pod. And then, of course, artofdarkpod.com. Uh, Blake, you're a working stand up, a professional stand up. Yeah. And uh, I guess I'm going to ask you too what do you know about Bill Hicks? And, and does he mean anything to you personally? What's your, what's your take on him? Uh, I very much appreciate Bill Hicks. I think Bill Hicks was so good that he decided to not be funny which is crazy. <laughs> That's how good he was at stand-up because there is a, there is a uh, tape of him at like 18 on YouTube murdering for an hour. I don't know if you know how hard that is. It's oh, crazy. I can't imagine. Yeah. It is insane. And Especially you've had no old. time. You've had no time to develop this material. You know, this is, yeah, 18, and, right? And he's, and he's, yeah, what are you even talking about? But right. his family, you know what I mean? Right, he's right. so funny. And he, and I'm not saying his later stuff wasn't funny. Like it is funny and it's funny to us, especially, but I feel like it's, I mean, you know, it's not like jokes. It's not punchy as, you know, as you uh, see like a late night set or something, but um, man, he was so just good at comedy that he got bored and was like, what if I just talked about this, like drugs and all this (laughs) stuff you're not allowed to talk about. Right. And it's crazy, man. It's, he's a, he's an amazing dude. But yeah. he does, I will say, 
he has inspired some of the worst comics I've ever seen. Because <laughs> uh, you can't be him. They're not as good. You know what I mean? You can't, right. You can't be him anymore. Like, he is, he is, he's like Carlin. You, you're never going to be that. So, yeah, it's, uh, he's amazing. Yeah, right on. And the thing you said about him being so funny that he could decide not to be funny, not in a, like a proto Nanette way no. either. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, go, go ahead. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not like in a Nanette thing where it's like a one man show. It was just like, he's just going to get his ideas out there more than anything. He was more focused on getting this stuff out there. Becoming almost yeah. like a ranting preacher, a dark yeah, preacher yes. of, yeah. of the future. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I want to and I want to say, even though I'm a fanboy and I, I go way back with Bill and he was a big part of my uh, adolescence and all the rest of it and my young adulthood, I don't swallow everything he says verbatim and he wouldn't even want you to. Though, you know, yeah. when you start to dig in a little deeper, he was making jokes. They were jokes. And he was mm-hmm. trying sure. to push the Pushed the envelope as far as he could. Uh, and he certainly, I think, did that. And uh, so this is going to be a really fun episode. I'm excited to do it. We're going we're gonna to talk about his entire life, which, uh, albeit short, was a very full life. Uh, Blake, one of the things you said about his youth and being 18, the other comedians, the, the outlaw Houston comics, as they yeah. were called, they said, I think it might have been Jimmy Pineapple, one of those guys said he was the funniest person who's ever lived at his age. Huh. Nobody's been Crazy. funnier at his age than Bill Hicks is what they said. And Brad, you mentioned he was 18, or, or Blake mentioned the set when he was 18, and, and Brad, you said he you know, didn't have that much time. He had been doing stand-up at that point for three or four years, wow. which is still a baby comic. You're not yeah. supposed to for an entire hour at, at year three or four typically right no right? Yeah. no not even dude i'm doing it at eight and it's like you know 30 minutes in i'm like yo can i be done like i just <laughs> like i'm done talking like i don't care like it's like yeah man it's crazy it's insane. that is that is perfect because that's going to situate, we're just going to get into the biography here now formally, but that sits so perfectly with one of the themes that I've um, unpacked from his, his buddies, Dwight and Kevin, who were his, his main guys uh, for, most of his, for most of his life. They were childhood friends. They would stick with him forever. And uh, I think it was Dwight, well, they both noted this, that uh, he had incredible stamina. They all played yeah. football because they're in Texas, right? In the seventies, yeah. uh, so they all they played football. You had even the mediocre, nerdy guys play. You played football, and but that's one of the comments they made about Bill over and over. And I hadn't quite put it in to place in my mind. Like, why is that such a big deal? Well, yeah, of course you're right. You you get up in front of a, an audience, what six, seven times a week on the road <laughs> yelling at people and, and trying to be funny that that requires it's like running a marathon yeah it's, ex- yeah. it's exhausting you yeah, think and, it wouldn't be that bad and hung over yeah. and travel tired and right. like yeah, yeah eating like yeah. crap and yeah all that on top of that yeah i had not thought about that yeah i'm not even wearing any pants when i do this podcast so <laughs> <laughs> i'm very comfortable when i do art of darkness um <laughs> the theater of the mind um yeah yeah, so this is going to be fun because we just did James Joyce with the great Aldous Asterian, and I don't know how different these two fellows right. could be, 
Uh, there's really nobody more American than Bill Hicks. And yeah. um, although they both, I think, had a sense of humor and, and, and certainly. Uh, I think they the, could. I think they could have kicked it together they for a little hang. while. Yeah. Yeah. Joyce yeah. could have done his spider dance. And, right, right, right. <laughs> and maybe, get, you know, uh, Bill would have given him. <laughs> mushrooms if you yeah. catch the mushroom they could have mm. had a fun time i mean and, and bill called himself randy pan the goat boy so. <laughs> that's a joycey so name that's a very yeah. joycey yeah. thing so, um, so different so the the source materials i have are the uh the rather great documentary that was made about him uh which which features um dwight and uh kevin booth rather um heavily. I don't know if you've seen, seen that, but that's very good. Uh, there's another sort of shorter interview with his brother that you can find. Um, so I watched that and there are a few things that I'm going to pull from that. But then I have, um, I've got three books in front of me. The one I'm going to draw from most heavily is Bill Hicks, Agent of Evolution, hmm. uh, the definitive biography by his lifelong friend, Kevin Booth with Michael Burton. Um, and this is one of those episodes where these folks are still around. And Bill's mm -hmm. family is still yeah. and they're still protecting his estate and everything. So everything we do here is in a spirit of um, kind of honoring him and, and his memory and respecting it. So um, I hope that's, you know, yeah, understood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a very, very cool book. I'm really glad I got it. And, uh, and then I have uh, Bill Hicks, Love All the People, The Essential Bill Hicks. Uh, and this is, <laughs> it's got a quote from Richard Pryor on the front. It says, an inspired and inspiring truth teller dangerous and brave and scary all at once hmm. pretty, pretty high praise from uh yeah you're getting prior blurs yeah. that's uh yeah mm. yeah and so this one this is a fun book because it has a lot of like it has the sets it has a lot of kind of um miscellany errata sort of little bits and bobs so i got a few of that a few of those and then i have sort of the more normie tier um biography the uh, american scream the bill hicks story i got that in front of me we do have a bookshop uh a little bit of uh, right. change comes back to art of darkness you can go to the website um so yeah let's get into it why don't we why don't we start and put ourselves here in place and time i have the the wikipedia in front of me and uh i, I this name is amazing right william melvin Hicks. <laughs> That's a boy named Sue type name. That is a yeah. certain yeah. kind of a name. Yeah. Boy, that you are saddled with something at that at, 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 you know, when your father names you William Melvin. <laughs> he was born in uh December of nineteen sixty-one. So let's situate ourselves here. The Beatles aren't quite yet a thing, but they're gonna be. Um, oh, so he'd be sixty this month. His mm. birthday was this week. Oh, hey, his birthday right. was th Thursday, I believe. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Would, would that, yeah. that would have been his 60th birthday, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Crazy to think. Yeah. And I believe they were born in, yeah, he was, he was born in Valdosta, Valdosta. I don't know how to say that Georgia. Uh, his father was named James Melvin, Jim Hicks, and his mother was named Mary Reese Hicks. He had an older sister, Lynn and an older brother, Steve. Uh, these were all college, um, graduates, all of them. So this is, a, this is a college, you know, an educated family. They were, uh, they were Southern Baptists. So they were in Georgia, then they were in Alabama, Florida, New Jersey, and then they finally settled in Houston, which is really where Bill was from. He was seven years old. Now the family's in Houston. Um, and he, 
this is what his father said about the, the Southern Baptist beliefs. Um, well, first, this is what Bill said. So he said, we were yuppie Baptists. We worried about things like, if you scratch your neighbor's Subaru, should you leave a note? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and uh, his biographer, Cynthia True, who wrote the um, American Scream, described the typical argument with his father. The elder Hicks would say, I believe that the Bible is the, is the literal word of God. And Bill would counter, no, it's not, Dad. Well, I believe that it is. Well, Bill replied, you know, some people believe that they're Napoleon. That's fine. Beliefs are neat. Cherish them, but don't share them like they're the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, so, okay. There's going to be, and, and if you know Bill's work, if you've listened to any of the specials uh, or any of the albums and seen any of the specials, uh, you know that religion and the big questions are like right at the heart of what he talks about. Yeah. Um, so that comes from that, that uh, sort of childhood. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's go here. I want to, you know, there's an interesting, well, that's a little uh, more high level. So let's see. He was the, he was the youngest um, uh, child and he uh, of three, and he made pals with uh, Dwight Slade, uh, who's a fellow, and they would become comedy partners. Um, the first time he would perform would be with this, this fellow Dwight. And uh, so this is from the American Scream. There was only one other person Bill knew who got comedy like he did, and that was his best friend, Dwight uh, Slade. Dwight's family had moved to Houston from Marietta, Georgia, when his father took an upper-level management job with Shell, and they lived a few miles away in Nottingham, too, which uh, was a neighborhood in Houston. Have you guys ever been to Houston? No. Yeah, yeah I have been to Houston. Yeah, Brad, what's your, what's your impression of Houston? Houston is way bigger than anybody who's – if you haven't been there, than you can imagine. Uh and it's kind of it's got some cool things but it's sort of a nightmare so there's one thing about houston is apparently there's in their ordinances there's no uh there's no zoning (laughs) no and so you can just put like a chemical factory next to a school next to a like you know what i mean so everything everywhere all the time (laughs) which is it doesn't seem like a big deal but like when you drive around it's a big deal yeah what is this what is it feels like you're having like a weird nightmare but it is actually pretty cool and i've met some cool people there yeah it's a cool town but that that vibe is definitely there. You're on the Gulf Coast and it's, it's pretty muggy, right? It's pretty humid. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, and they lived in the suburbs. So this would, this would figure in pretty heavily because they lived in that cloistered life or they lived in that cloistered sort of space. And then they would come into the city, come into Houston proper at a very young age when they shouldn't have been to do the stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna, I'm going to get into the, the Kevin Booth book, Agent of Evolution, that, with a little bit about his stamina. Um, so <laughs> there's a quote here at the top of this chapter. I'm not from the States. I'm from Texas. <laughs> from <now. laughs> um, As a kid in grade school, Bill Hicks was a phenomenal athlete. He was strong, fast, agile. Anyone who ever saw Bill perform stand-up comedy in later years would have a hard time imagining this. With a cigarette dangling off his bottom lip, he'd tell his signature joke about smoking, perusing the front rows of the audience. He'd find somebody with a lit cigarette and ask them how much they smoked. A pack a day. 
He'd take a drag of his cigarette and inhale like his life depended on that tar-laden cancer stick. Pussy, I go through two lighters a day. <laughs> you remember that bit? He would, he would do that. You know, he'd, yeah, he'd, I'm he'd up to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm up to about two lighters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm really starting to feel it. <laughs> Um, that's not even that's not my favorite smoking joke well i'm sure we'll get to it at some point sorry yeah yeah well if i don't you'll have to you'll have to dig into it but yeah. there, there's there's a little bit of that you know and the impression that i've been getting from these bios that i've been reading is that he wasn't he wasn't because we've got to think now about kind of junior high and high school politics in, in the american public school system in texas in the 80s in the, in the like late 70s early 80s he he was not a popular kid right but he wasn't a total um, nerd, nerd, bottom rung, whatever else. He lived, his social standing was somewhere in the middle. And he and his buddies uh, kind of won their place in the school by doing this, these sketches. They would do these like far out uh, kind of wild bits. And uh, there's some footage of this, of them like, you know, going around like, like monkeys, <laughs> just acting crazy. Yeah. They, they were those kids. Right. And, and Kevin Booth would come on the scene and he was um, known for being kind of the, uh, Oh, what's the word? Like the MacGyver of the crew. And he was given a driver's license <laughs> at a very young age because in Texas, they had this in North Dakota too, where you could be like 14 or 15 and with little or no formal training, you'd get a license if your family owned a ranch and needed you to drive. <laughs> they right, would just right. hand, these, <laughs> hand these things out. So this is the, the threesome that's developed here. And um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about his, his influences. Um, Blake, if I had to ask you, who do you, who do you think were his, his like primary influences right away? Do you have any, any thought? I don't know, man. I I feel like he watched like a lot of old uh, old comedy, like not even like maybe maybe Cosby a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I don't no, know. You're, you're actually right, and I, I don't mean to put you on the in the hot seat yeah. there, but yeah, I have it right in front of me. He um he was really influenced by uh by Chaplin and by Woody Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Chaplin. Chaplin for sure, dude. You could definitely see it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. So he would, and he would tape um, comic acts on the television and uh, quoting him, you know, I'd take their jokes and also write my own. I performed them around school. And what I loved was when both got equal laughs. So he would plagiarize other people's jokes, right? Like you do, you're young. Um, or in the case of Dennis Leary, you just take Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to call, I had to call that out. That'll be the last time we talk about that. Um, but he, you know, he's saying, I knew which one was me and which one I'd seen on TV the night before. I learned how to mesh these things, how to get into character. Uh, I was very, very popular and known as a comedian at school. I'd always have to have material constantly all day. It got to the point where my English teacher gave me five minutes to do before class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Dominating. Yeah. Just, we know you're going to be a problem. You yeah. got to make, just go that's up and give us a quick sad. five. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. <laughs> I love that. My older brother, Steve encouraged me and Steve would figure heavily in his life as support. Um, 
I typed up, uh, up about two pages of jokes, whimsical stuff in the Woody Allen vein, which really appealed to me, and slipped them under his door. He came in later, later that night and said, what's this? I said, I don't know. I'm writing these things. They're jokes. He couldn't believe it. These are funny, man. Keep doing it. Uh, I want to go on a little more here. Hicks' first partner in comedy was Dwight Slade, with whom he formed the act Bill and Dwight in the eighth grade. I mean, who's forming a comedy act in the eighth <laughs> grade? Like, <laughs> this is one of the themes about Bill, too, is that he, he died very young, but I, he just, he got started young. He lived, it's crazy how much he did in his life. Yeah. Um, it, it, feels like he, it feels like he knew. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's almost yeah. like, where you're like, he was so rushed to do everything. It's like, why are you so rushed to do everything? Yeah. And I, just, I don't know. There's some people like that where you just like, they, I don't know, like they're destined to fucking die. Oh, sorry, to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. They're destined to die like so young and they just, it feels like they know. I don't know. It's very weird. Isn't um, that, I completely agree with that. That is such a strange phenomenon with yeah. him. You go, and, and later it would come back. And I think we can get a little out of order. It would come back and he would go, oh, the joke's on me. This yeah, is the joke. Yeah, yeah. This is right. the joke. And there's right. a beautiful moment. I'll tell it now because it makes sense. There's a beautiful moment. And I'll, I'll bring us all the way back around to this near the end. But his brother um, uh, was in the hospital with him. I think out, I think out in LA. And Bill was, this was his brother, Steve. And Bill was in a lot of pain. And he was on morphine and morphine pills, big chunky morphine pills. And his, he asked his brother, Bill asked uh, Stephen, he said, Steve, he said, um, you want to, uh, you want to do some morphine? <laughs> <laughs> and they, <laughs> and they had the nurse come in. They told the nurse, the nurse was like, all right. And uh, cool, cool. And uh, Steve recounts taking the, the big pill having to just gag it down and then proceeding to sit in his chair throughout the entire night, gripping the chair because he felt like he was going to float out of the room <laughs> under the chair. And Bill laughed hysterically throughout the entire night. Sure. Yep. That's an image of Bill that I, that I really, that I really like. Um, yeah. So just a little more about Dwight and, there's a tape that exists of uh, Bill and Dwight giggling through their early routine, which involved pretending to be brothers with many, many problems. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the comedy sensation Dwight Slade and Bill Hicks, and here they are, it begins, and then the two of them collapse into roars of amusement at their own vain attempts to strike adult postures while reading gags about God, sex, abortion, and parents. Whoa. Precocious. <laughs> I guess so. Wow. Precocious. Um, now you have to imagine these two. In 1976, there were no comedy clubs in Houston. Okay, 1976. Yeah. And so they scoured the paper for auditions. They would ride their bikes 17 miles into town and back for a tryout. They were 14. Wow. They're sending around tapes for telethons. All of this. So, I mean, how fun is that? And they, yeah. he means it. At that age, he right. means it. Right. Um, right. I don't um, remember what I was doing when I was 14. We were doing goofy stuff, but nothing with, like, any intent of – not really. Yeah, and they're not trying oh, to make dude. anything happen with it or anything. Yeah. 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 It was shooting – like, I remember shooting sketches at 14, but 
it was not uh, like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, weren't yeah. Sending, we weren't sending them out, surely. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, your friends would watch it or whatever. And then, yeah, yeah, that's right. cool. Yeah, Let's yeah, make yeah, another exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I might have done a bit of that. I might have sent a few things out as like a little bits of writing, but not with the idea that anything serious would come of it. Yeah. And uh, right. so it's pretty wild to think because coming into the next beat, we're already moving into his early career, right? <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's, there's no break boggles the mind, right? He would come back at 25 to Houston, having been doing stand up for 10 years, which <laughs> the order of operations doesn't apply here. So before, wow. I, before I get into the career, I want to talk about um, Kevin Booth, who, who wrote the book and who's behind uh, sacred cow productions, which put out Sane Man and a number, and a number of other Hicks releases. Uh, Kevin, with the, the fabulous first name, is a Catholic, right? So <laughs> okay. now you've got, ooh, it's the, the Catholic kid with the, his parents' RV. He has a license uh, with a generator. They would, they would bring, they figured out how to hook up speakers to the, the RV. So they would go and pull this RV up outside of like the cheerleaders' practice and play the rock and roll to the cheerleaders, right? To get into- <laughs> and they and they started a band called Stress, which is a pretty funny name for a oh, band. Yeah. Stress, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, music was a really important thing to Bill his entire life. And if you listen to the great album Arizona Bay, he attempted to mix music with comedy he called arizona bay his dark side of the moon (laughs) i think he had a pretty good sense of humor about it but he really actually did he did take music seriously and of course there's the great uh bill hicks tool connection where he and tool were talking about possibly touring together i think bill may have done a set or two in front of one or two of their shows bill lived in in la for a while so there's that funny bill hicks music kind of connection and listening back to the uh, the material here again, his, his stuff is musical in a way, which it sounds maybe corny, but he's not as, his material is not as rehearsed as um, Carlin, where it's like Carlin has every line down pat, but there is a musicality to Bill's kind of, Bill's kind of ranting, especially at the end of his sets where he would, he would crescendo into this incredible operatic conclusion ending in, what did you say earlier, Blake? He always ended up uh, uh, yeah. getting assassinated, <laughs> being murdered, <laughs> murdered by the government. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, as as one is, and yeah, and of course he was so into conspiracy theories and JFK and all the rest of it. So, um, but we'll get to all that. So we're going to get into his his early career. Uh, so I have something from the Agent of Evolution book here. Um, so Brad, are I mean, are you are you with me here as I'm going? Uh, yeah, this yeah. This is I, I had a I had an image for a moment of a, a biopic that is sort of like dazed and confused, but it's mm. Bill Hicks just like up to the age of I don't know, like eighteen or up to the time he does his first set at a real comedy show, just rolling around the RV trying to get with the cheerleaders. All that sounds like. It yeah. sounds it sounds fun, man. It's it's it does sound romantic. Fun. Yeah, his life would be a good movie. It would yeah. be a great movie, honestly. 
Yeah, for sure. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I wonder yeah. if the if the estate would allow that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, who would play him? Yeah, it's something where yeah. it's almost you have to have the du- the dust has to settle further. Maybe uh, yeah. somehow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like ten in ten years. There you you know what I mean? For sure. Like in 10 years where it's like the nineties are now like what, 40 years away. <laughs> like right, right. it's uh, yeah, man. I think that would be really good. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, so now, you know, I've put this trio together. You got Dwight, his comedy partner. You have Kevin Booth, the Catholic boy with the RV. Who's the, the MacGyver of the crew. And so they're in high school And during one of the semesters of school in April, the Houston Chronicle ran a feature on a new comedy club in town. So now we got a comedy club. This was it. This was the answer. And they had been combing the Wanda ads for entertainer or, or comedian E or C. And there was nothing for 14 year old standups. Right. (laughs) And now they had an outlet. About a week after seeing the feature in the Chronicle, Dwight and Bill sneaked out of their houses and were standing on the stage of the comedy workshop, performing their material in front of a paying adult audience. It was was just a little too late, though, because Dwight had known this for months. At the end of the school year, his family would be moving to Oregon. He's going to lose his comedy partner. But, and I'm quoting Dwight here, it was intoxicating. But there was this horror because here we are and we are really clink- clicking, but we knew I have to leave. Um, and they were also found out by their parents and grounded for the rest of their adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> Wor- they're, worth yeah. it. Worth it. <laughs> well, you have to know, too, they're, they're, in, a, they're in a nightclub at 14. Yeah. 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 And you have to imagine these older guys, again, like Jimmy Pineapple, these other guys kind of just look at it at them like, who are these kids? Yeah. And they right. would they would kind of make fun of the adults for drinking and smoking, mm-hmm. uh, and the but the adults would indulge them a little bit. But then apparently they were also actually good. <laughs> so right. I just <laughs> try to imagine going out for a date night and these these fourteen year old Baptist kids get on stage, and start making jokes about their parents and, and abortion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I have I have another bit from this time. Um, but yes, this is this is about them sneaking out, right? So the comedy workshop had an open mic every uh, mic night every Monday. You show up, put your name on the list, you can perform. Bill and Dwight heard this. We got to do it. Uh, all the friends were encouraging them <laughs> because they thought it was hilarious. Um, they had no idea that they were too young to go sign up for an open mic at a, at a comedy club. They were so naive. Right. Um, so they were getting, they were being egged on by their friends. Mm. And so Kevin told his mom, they were going to, to a music store. Bill told his mom, they were going to the library. It might, it might've actually been Dwight. Let me make sure I'm quoting the right person. Well, in any case, going yeah, to study, we're going to study mom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to the library. <laughs> <laughs> When I uh, used to work near the university down here at a bar, uh, there's another bar in Dinky Town right over by the U called the Library. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, classic name for a bar. Um, That's great. <laughs> so I think this is Dwight. Um, 
it was the middle of a school day. I can't even remember why we weren't in school. We weren't skipping, but there we were at a comedy club. We knocked on a, on a door, a comic by the name of Steve Epstein, unfortunate name there. Mm. Steve <laughs> Epstein answered. This is before the island. Sure. Um, <laughs> Bill asks some basic questions. Can anyone do it? How do you sign up? Does it matter if I'm only 16? <laughs> yes, you put your name on the list. Maybe we'll have to check. And then Epstein gives Bill the kind of like what it takes to be a comedian speech. Mm. And there's something to me that's a kind of endearing about these. And I, I don't mean to insult anyone here, but these kind of nobodies in Houston, right? Like if right. you're, if you're at a new and, and there would be some heavy people who would come through and there yeah. would be some careers that were made out of Houston. Kinnison came out of Houston, mm. which we'll get yeah. to. Um, there is something endearing to me about these like high school kind of quasi geeks showing up and then the older comics kind of putting their arms around them and going, yeah. here's what it's going to take to make it in comedy. Kid. Right. Um, <laughs> well, the thing about that is though, at that time, dude, those people were probably making great money because that mm, was the boom, I mean, man. That was yeah. like, you were getting, I mean, hosts were getting paid like hotel travel and you get like, Two hundred dollars and then eighty whatever. That was great. You get and that's like just to host a show, not to like feature or headline. Mm, so I mean, wow. like you could make a killing, like just do being bad at stand up, like not even <laughs> being good at it. So right. like those dudes probably did were like, hey, you got to do this, this, and this. Mm, yeah, and I guarantee Bill uh, ignored most of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's because I mean he didn't turn out like a hack. But um, hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it was crazy. It was a crazy time. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, that's why, that's why we're having you on. I, I did yeah. not know. That. So this was yeah. a period that's famous for the, there was a high demand for it. And so you yeah. could do it professionally and the bar was pretty low. Um, yeah. So it's saying here that it's kind of funny because Bill was probably already better versed in like classical comedy than Epstein was yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Epstein didn't take him seriously at all. But I want to talk about the first time Bill ever did stand up. So Bill and Dwight together and now he's not doing it on his own. Right. But he goes up with his buddy and they did about seven or eight minutes and they got laughs, legitimate laughs. And, you know, here are kids who were not even supposed to be in the club. Legal, legal drinking was 18 at the time. And it was crazy that they even had the audacity to do it. And um, a lot of people kind of got the impression like, well, that was a fun gimmick or a fun yeah. uh, one-time thing. These kids are never going to be back. But uh, that's not the case. And what ended up happening is they would sneak out and do this regularly. Kevin Booth would park the RV across from the Hicks's house. There was a Catholic church, those, those dastardly Catholics. There was a Catholic church. <laughs> with a parking lot and Kevin Booth would park the RV and Bill would sneak out the window uh, and climb over the fence to get into the RV to go and do uh, awesome. stand-up comedy. Um, and so there's, this, there's something in the book here saying, even after Bill died, his parents were in denial about it, about the fact that he was able to get out. I remember getting into a fight with Jim about it when he said, that window was double bolted shut. It's just not possible. <laughs> <laughs> but no, clearly, clearly Bill got out. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I already mentioned this, uh, some of the other comedians saying that 
he, he was the funniest person who's ever lived at his age. And hmm. he just, there's never been anybody funnier, younger um, than Bill. Think about it, dude. Think about it. You don't want to even hear what a 16 year old has to say about anything. Right. Let right. alone stand the jokes. They <laughs> yeah. Bring, you know what I mean? Yeah. How, like, how, good and, how good and charismatic do you have to be to get over that hump? Right. To I mean, like he, make but, that first smile crack. Like I, yeah. I said this earlier, but that hour of him being 18 and just talking about his family is crazy because he's mm-hmm. just so good at act outs and setting a scene and showing you like what it was like, what his dad was actually like or what his mom was actually yeah. like. Like it was so brilliant. It was, I, it was just very, very good. I, I have seen a bit of that and it's funny and though it's almost, maybe more impressive about it is just there's not an ounce of nerves to him like you would think an 18 year old kid doing that would be a little uncertain you know a little freaked out whatever but he it, he looks like he's been doing it for longer yeah. than he's been alive in that right <laughs> yeah it's crazy it's right. pretty crazy and he's he's all buttoned up and well coiffed and yeah. he, he looks like a kid from the suburbs of texas yeah. i Going back over the material too, the thing you said about act act outs, Blake. I love how he would slip into these accents. He had these thick, yes, goofy Texas accents whenever he needed them, and you never doubt doubt him for a second that he knows those people. He knows that that thing. So there's that contrast uh, that's always so funny. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was just so good at. I mean, dude, sound effect. He was a soundboard. He was like, a, you know what I mean? Like the the crazy. cricket sound. Yeah. yeah, the yeah, cricket yeah, yeah. sound. I mean, the sheep, the sheep sound. Uh, the like, I mean, the demon sound. Yeah. Like <laughs> everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, the 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 sound of Jimi Hendrix's feedback on the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, dude, it was it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was like Michael Winslow, but he had like Joe. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like mm. crazy amount of sound effects. Yeah, he was. He had it all. Yeah. yeah, dynamite. Well, so this is going to be interesting because the shape of this is beginning to appear to me in a way that I hadn't really thought about because he was so good so fast when we arrive at the dark night of his soul, it, the bottom is deep. Mm. And yeah. we owe it to Bill and his memory when we get to that kind of great second act turn to to honor what he achieved because we wouldn't have most of what we have from him if he had not sorted his stuff out. And the way he did it is going to be very interesting to talk okay. about. But I want to take a little detour into Sam Kinison. Uh, so I, I'm personally not a huge Kinison fan. I don't know. I mean, I, I respect him. I, I don't know his stuff that well. Uh, Blake, what do, you, what do you know about Kinison? I mean, could you give me a little uh, too? I know Kinison is uh, more interesting to me than he is funny. I mean, he came from a preacher background, and he uh, he, was, he, he, was he very, have like a, a an automobile accident where he hit his head and it caused some big change or something. Yeah, I think he got he got in an accident, and uh, well, I think it was more. I mean, people say it was the he hit his head. I think it's just having a near death experience and then change yeah. it. You know what I mean? I think that was more probably what it is, but uh, he was just extremely charismatic. But again, in the eighties, you didn't really have like, <laughs> it was more about personalities. Like this is why Bill never really like 
fucking broke through. Sorry for cursing. He never really broke through um, because he wasn't just a personality. You know he what never, I mean? He never broke through in the in the states, but he was he's a household name in England. Or in right, the, yeah. right, yeah. right. Because in the in the states, look who was popular it was Dice yeah. and Kennison. You know what yeah. I mean? And, I mean Eddie Murphy to an extent. I mean, he was very funny, but he also was just a big personality. It was a lot of personality-driven yeah. stand-up. And, uh, yeah, that Andrew, that. that Andrew Dice Clay stuff, looking back, it's sort of like, what was everybody laughing at? Like, it's uh, not, yeah, most, it's like, most that of it doesn't a, really work to me. No, Maybe it's, it's not, not great. Yeah. No, it's not great. <laughs> well, and we're going to get to Dice, and Bill really didn't like Dice. And yeah. the comparison I made, and I, I think Dice is great. I like Dice for the class quality of Dice's comedy. Mm. I like the working man and all that stuff. Uh, but different animals from, from Bill. Mm. Uh, the, the comparison I make between like Bill and Dice would be, Bill is more like grunge, Nirvana mm. coming in, and Dice is like hair metal. Yeah. And yeah. we can look back and like hair metal. There's some fun yeah. stuff, right? GNR, mm-hmm. all this. I mean, obviously, they yeah. they kind of transcend the genre, right? But mm-hmm. I think that's a good compare comparison. Mm-hmm. Where Bill Bill fundamentally did take comedy very seriously, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And whereas, and these other guys do do, do too. And I don't want to spark yeah. some these these beefs right. are well known. And right. I, you know, whatever. What do I know? I, I respect all these guys ultimately. But let's talk about Kinison. So. Kinnison, it, it's funny because Bill started before Kinnison did. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. He started yeah. when he was so young. So technically, yeah. Bill had seniority on Kinnison as a comic, but of course, with the age difference, that it's not how it really worked. So uh, let's see here. Sam also, was starting Kinnison, to take- Also, Kinnison was just a force. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So when he mm-hmm. came on and he already had, again, he wasn't doing stand-up, but he was preaching. So he already had the stage presence mm. and the cadence and the, all of that and, yeah. the, and performance. So it's just like, Oh, now I just have to be funny. Like, so he had everything else. Yeah. So yeah. Right. I think that also helped. Sorry. Mm. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, no, that's, you're right. So one night, uh, and this is in, uh, Houston, one night, Bill just happened to be sitting there at the corner of the stage when Sam made Bill his catamite. Welcome to the family. Bill liked to hang around the guys as much as possible, and the guys liked him. Moreover, pretty much everyone recognized that Bill was supremely talented even as a teen, but age and lifestyle kept him at arm's length. When the other comics went out late after the club closed to take the party somewhere else or even just to go eat, Bill often went home. He had school the next day. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam would grab him by the shoulder and say, look, kid, it's you, me, and Jimmy Pineapple. All these other guys are toast and mm. uh, and i'm sure there's a funny little anecdote here uh in april of 1980 sam got his first band from the the workshop uh he had a self-explanatory bit he called barstool rodeo where he once broke the bar stool while riding it so so when they repaired the stool the manager or somebody had the bar manager write if you break this you owe 20 dollars on the bottom of this <laughs> so and then sam got back up and, and broke the stool sure yeah. uh, <laughs> so but this is the milieu that bill at a very young age is coming out of and i think doesn't he does he he does mess around with the stool in insane man doesn't he i think at one point the, yeah, the head of the stool yeah. comes off and so he didn't come out of nowhere. He yeah. this Houston scene was a, was a big deal um, to him. 
Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna get into one of the first big moves that he made. Uh, he instead of going to college, comes from a college family. Uh, he went to L.A. Nice <laughs> to become a standup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's there's a very oh boy, and kids do not try this at home uh, or in L.A. There's and he. He would come to famously hate L.A. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got bits yeah. about that, right? Well, he has a whole album called, he has a, an entire oh, yeah. album called right. Arizona right. Bay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he, he can't wait for the fevered egos in L.A. to be swallowed by the big one and sucked into the ocean. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a really interesting part here about him arriving in L.A. I want to make sure I get it. Um, because it's very particular. So yeah, here it is. So we got to imagine Bill Hicks, 1980. He's 18, 19 years old. He took a cab from the airport straight to the comedy store. (laughs) Since he was a naive hick, he might as well play the part. He walked in with his suitcase still in hand and asked Andy Huggins, the comedian minding the store during the day, when do I go on? (laughs) <laughs> so this is this is very oscar wilde i have nothing to declare about my genius territory right, we're, right. we're in here yeah he played he played the part all the way through his audition for hbo that evening so he had a, an audition for hbo and yeah. he even brought his suitcase on stage so <laughs> that's that's chaplin he's that playing yeah. doing yeah. a little yes. bit of a tra- yes. yeah tramp yeah. bit right um, that's funny he didn't get the HBO special, but he got the attention of Mitzi, Mitzi Shore, who liked him and started giving him spots. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. Um, and then, so, right, I mean, that's kind of crazy. Literally the same day. I mean, you just think about the, the, the same day that you get to L.A., you get what you, you, get what you came for to a certain degree, right? I mean, obviously, right. he's trying to make more than that happen, but the first thing you try to do works. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, and Kinnison showed up a few months later and had a bunch of debts. <laughs> he asked Bill if he could borrow a thousand dollars. And Bill, <laughs> woo, those comedians yeah. <laughs> famous for their reliability, right? Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So Sam went off on him. And of all the comedians in history, you don't want to be yelling at you. It's probably Kinnison. Oh yeah. Yeah. Didn't he famously like shoot up the comedy store or something? Um, I don't know. I uh, haven't heard I think that. He had a, I think I believe he had a gun at the store. Okay. And he shot. I think he shot it in the air. He did okay. Not, uh, okay. You know, shoot uh, at somebody. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a psycho. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, so Kinnison showed up and did not get stage time. He was made to work the door, which mm. had to be uh, annoying. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. There's a there's a period here where Dwight is out there in LA and uh, he they write a screenplay together and the screenplay would be called The Suburbs uh, and <laughs> eventually they would end up in an agent's uh, an agent's office at William Morris one of the biggest agencies wow. and the agent 
looked at them and said, you guys are 19. <laughs> what? How did you get into my office? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course it was, I'm sure it was through the store and the comedy connections and everything. Yeah. And um, the, the agent wanted a second uh, script from them. Um, and it was after that, that Bill lost interest in writing screenplays. Mm. Out in LA. Yeah. Sort of went. And I think it probably was the whole scene. If you've never been out to, LA for meetings. It's like, it's a scene and it's, it's, it's big buildings. And it's, it's just, again, you want to talk about the flaming egos, it's flaming egos. And it's, if you're not a darling, if you're an unknown, they're going to give you the runaround. It's a whole thing. And I'm sure Bill coming from Texas, coming from Houston was just like, Whoa, this is not, these are not my people. Um, and he, they had put a lot of work into that script too. Uh, mm-hmm. and he just sort of lost interest in it. Uh, so at one point, and to give you the idea of how close these guys were, uh, he was, uh, Bill was the best man in Dwight's wedding. Mm-hmm. They went back to Houston for the, for the wedding and he had a set. He had a, he had a, he had a spot uh, that night. So after Dwight gets married, the whole wedding party went over to see Bill do stand up. Oh, wow. Now he, now he's had some time in LA. And by the way, these are my people. I love this. This is, this yeah. is, I, these are the people I want to be around. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that. You're, you're going you're to go get married. I'm your best man, but Hey, I got, I got a spot right. <laughs> later tonight. Right. I got to go do that. So, and there's a moment where Bill's sister recalls that was the first time she ever saw him do stand up. Yeah. After, the wedding where he's the best man. And she was sort of like, Oh, he's pretty good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I have a letter that he wrote home, uh, in when he was out in LA and I want to read this cause I, it's good to get his voice. Guess who was at the comedy store last week? Richard Pryor. He didn't go up, but he was hanging around. I of course wasn't there that night. Damn. Oh, Oh, well, I guess I'll be spending a couple of nights at the comedy workshop when I'm in Houston. Boy, I hope I can stay longer. Not enough time to try out all the new Goyle gags. I was really going to use this Houston trip as a determiner of my next move, but now it'll be kind of hard to do in only four days. It's really tough out here. You have to understand what I'm talking about when I say I want out of here. The comedy store is filled with guys that that just ain't superstars. I want to be great, and believe me, that doesn't happen in just one year. Look at Richard Pryor or Rodney Dangerfield. Years and years and years. You see what I mean? There's no hurry for me now. I must think in terms of longevity. Think of the ups and downs those two have been through. Yiker booze. Comedy store is a comic factory for producing these LA modsters. It's very scary. I don't know what to do, you know? Stay out here and take a chance of not becoming uh, jaded and bored with everything or leave, give up my position out here and go to college for a few years and work in a club with a more productive atmosphere. See what I mean? I think I'm going to take off now. Hang loose. Keep cool. Check you later. Gotcha on the rebound. Shoot me in the face. Your buddy, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) I love the earnest. I love the earnestness. I mean, you can see. I, you can see young Bill Hicks in that, I feel like, right? The wanting to be great and the, and the chafing at inauthenticity. And you can see all of it, but it's, it's charming and unsullied and kind of sweet. It's crazy <laughs> that nothing has changed. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I hear that, I'm like, wow, nothing is different. Because the big cities, dude, it's like that's they just churn out whatever 
the thing is, you know what I mean? Whatever they're looking for at the time, whatever the industry is like, this is what we like. And they try to churn, the club's trying to churn that out, you know? And uh, that's why I never, that's why I didn't leave the Midwest. It feels uh, not productive to be in that environment, you know? And yeah. what he is saying is like, yeah, I, I can't really be, I can't become who I'm going to become here. Yeah. Well, that's, a, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that in most artistic, most art forms. There's a little bit of a like, well, this worked. So the, the money-making part of it just says, okay, well, we'll just do that until everybody hates it. Right. Yeah. Like just, <laughs> we'll just repeat that until people are, you know, throwing up from having to right. have yeah. listen to this right. thing over exactly. and over again. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's funny. So that was a letter to Kevin Booth and Kevin described his uh, so Bill's letters. Kevin, as, Kevin stayed back in Houston then? Is that what I'm getting? Oh, um, yeah. So Kevin was back in Houston. Dwight was out in LA and they would separate. Dwight would go back to Oregon and Bill would go back to Houston. But Kevin Booth described Bill's letters as like children's books, <laughs> <laughs> which is very dear. I like that. Yikaboos. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to mention that Bill did have a, a lady, did have a young, uh, young lady on the scene named Lori, and she'll come up here a few times. Uh, Bill had a lot of different relationships because when he had his sort of middle period, breaks in England, all of this, he's a road comic, touring comic. Yeah. So you're on the road three quarters of the year, two thirds of the year, really tough to sustain anything like a quote unquote normal relationship. But um, so I want to read a little bit about this. So this was a high school sweetheart. She was, they broke up at one point. She was kind of hard on him in her own words, but in Houston, Bill tracked down Lori. They went out on a few dates. So he's, he's shuttling kind of between Houston and Austin. Um, in Austin, Bill hung out with Kevin and David Johnrith. Oh, Kevin uh, Booth, when I think went up to UT, Brad. Okay, yeah. And and same man was done at at uh, in Austin. So oh, really? yeah, okay. yeah, at the lab yeah. at the lab stop. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. So he, Kevin Booth had moved up to UT. Uh, they got a house together, and um, the point here is that he went back back to Texas. All his friends were in Texas. His people were mm -hmm. in Texas. Texas really is a country and a state of mind all its own. It's a it's its own place. Um, so <laughs> this is fun. During the trip to Texas, Bill got into astrology and numerology and anyology he could get his hands on. <laughs> With numerology, Bill found his number. In numerology, numbers were assigned to letters and you can derive the, uh, a number from your name. For William Melvin Hicks, Pythagorean, Pythagorean numerology produces a number of six. The characteristics of a six are to be generally responsible, but anxious and guilt-ridden. He worked hmm. this out for all his friends as, as well. So he's at, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we could all relate to that phase of sort of, yeah. oh, this yeah. is a new thing. It's like a little party trick you could do, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Bill had a favorite astrologer working out of a bookstore in Austin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he took Lori to get uh, her chart done. Then he got his chart done. Then they got their charts done together. Mm. And Bill lost it because of their compatibility. It was off the charts. Uh, Sagittarius and Aries, they had this ex exceptional uh, compatibility. <laughs> and he 
he decided he was going to have it done uh, for him and Dwight. He called Dwight up. And they were an even better match. (laughs) 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 One thing I like about Bill Hicks is that this is a dude who is clearly capable of an epic multi-decade bromance. Mm. This guy had that (laughs) ability. And there's something to that. And I think that's that's worth, you know, bros need bros. And this guy had some very good bros. Um, So Dwight said, he said basically that that if I had been born with a pussy, we'd be perfect together. (laughs) 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 so fun um and this gets into uh uh, this area of interest of his he was into this kind of wackadoo fringe (laughs) left field strange astrology conspiracy theory and there's a very particular texas strain of this stuff that also comes with a big middle finger to authority and to anybody trying to command you to be a certain way or to do a certain way so Mm. Bill's rebellion, and you could see this in the stand-up, Bill's rebellion was against the sort of dominant moral uh, prigs, the prudes of his time, which would be the evangelical right and the sort of the religious right and the, the yeah. people who were trying to censor albums and all the rest of it. One does wonder what Bill Hicks' uh, venom would be uh, pointed at today, given the, I know, the right? landscape. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. do you think he would be chilled out? I don't. I don't know, man. I feel like I feel like he would be like mellowed out, you know, because I feel like uh, he would have had to. He would have lost it, right? You yeah, know, it's, it's right. something. Yeah, yeah. He would. Yeah, I think. I think he might have. It's hard to say, but we're going to get into the the thing that he used as a lever, uh, you know, here right now, and which figures pretty pretty heavily. I want to make sure that I'm staying um, on track. Oh yeah, right, right. Um, he uh, well let me let me read this so bill was happy to be back home and i love this quote there are 10,000 bodies out there in la with one personality uh <laughs> and he came back and he decided he was going to to do mushrooms uh and he started taking mushrooms hallucinogenic mushrooms and he decided uh that he was going to start doing them uh every night before going up on stage. Uh, and so... He didn't do anything halfway, did he? This yeah. is how <laughs> comes up. Bill, nothing halfway. Right. Um, so one night he exhausted the mushroom magic completely. He went up on stage after dosing and soon ended up lying in the fetal position on the corner of the stage. <laughs> the audience took their coasters, their wadded up napkins, and started playing target practice with Bill's inert body. Then he turned around. He said to his friends, you know what? I'm never going to take drugs and go on stage again. So this dude was taking mushrooms before he ever had a drink. That's why. Yeah, really. He's yeah. Taking mushrooms, doing mushrooms on stage, ending up in in a fetal position. Uh, I'm going to come back to this because I want to mention that they were, they were early adopters of the float tank. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. yeah, like huh. that, that's how far out these guys were. They were yeah. they were seeking a way uh, to to change their consciousness yeah. any way they can, uh, they could, and they were doing it. So here, uh, we'd tried just about everything. This this was this must be Kevin. Um, one day it was Valium, the next Mushrooms, the next Percodin, the next Mandrax. We were trying to synchronize the experience. For example, Bill, David, 
Steve and I would all take whatever hallucinogen we had selected for that particular day. Then we'd all agree to focus on the same thing. Okay, concentrate on some cake ingredient or letter of the alphabet or color, etc. Huh. Uh, we would each crawl into a separate tank. We'd come out an hour later. You were thinking about flour, right? No, Bill. Eggs. David. <laughs> vanilla. Steve. Icing. Is icing even an ingredient? It never worked. <laughs> they were trying to prove like clairvoyance. Yeah. Right. So these are the people that we're dealing with here. That's uh, wild. These are, these are some hardcore party animals, but also looking for something beyond the beyond. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was Kevin Booth again talking about it. Huh. Um, <laughs> Brad, you, have you done a float tank? Yeah, I've done a float tank. Uh, it's been a while, but it, there's a while for a period there. I was doing it quite often. Yeah. Well, and for people who don't know who are listening, what is a float tank? I think most people know now, but just yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Joe Rogan's kind of blown it up, which is good. Um, yeah, it's, it's sen- yeah, right. <laughs> it's a sen- sensory deprivation. So they've got it pretty, pretty well nailed down. Now you go into a sort of a pod, and it's got uh, not, not, not the kind of pod that you refuse to live in, but. A, a a sort of a horizontal tank and there's about six inches of water in it that's salted enough so it, it 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 you float without effort and it's the temperature of your skin and it's totally dark totally silent and you kind of go into you go into a, a hypnagogic state in there um you're brains your brain gets into what they call theta wave frequency and you you start to see things and have visions and go places um yeah it's actually pretty amazing hmm. yeah yeah it makes me anxious yep. just thinking about yeah, it it's, it's, uh. yeah, it's, you i i kind of thought it would be the same way it'd be kind of claustrophobic but like the funny thing about it it's not claustrophobic because you don't have any uh, you don't see anything so like yeah, you don't necessarily feel closed in because you can't you literally can't see anything at all. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But what's w- it, there's a number of things that are kind of cool about it. One is when you get out, your vision you will have the best vision of your entire life. Like wow. we're coming out of it and walking outside and looking way down. I don't have good eyes, but like looking way down the street and being like, I can see every leaf on that tree. This is so weird. Whoa. Huh. <laughs> That's crazy. So anyway, right, and then you cool. throw heavy hallucinogenic drugs on top of that. Yeah. I can only imagine. yeah, yeah, yeah. You go places for sure. We are coming to a major event in Bill's life and the mushrooms turned on him on stage. I would not recommend doing any kind of performance while you're tripping mushrooms uh, personally. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking as a professional, right? No, no. Did I did I say that out loud? Right. <laughs> Who are you, people? Right. Right. You, can, you can see it going bad. Hey, Jude. <laughs> <laughs> it started to get real weird fast. Um, well, so here comes the booze, mm. and I've got a few things to read about this. This is Kevin Booth again. Throughout his life, Bill made comments about how he felt like an alien on this planet, like there was something about him that was different. He didn't know how to have a pleasant but inane conversation, didn't know how to watch football like the guys, didn't know how to play golf and would not talk about it like it was a spiritual journey. All of the things that allow you to pass through the world undetected. He felt like an alien. Uh, Then you watched him or you were around him and he would say and do things that made you think, God, he really is like an alien. (laughs) 
<laughs> and the way he put it was so funny because he sounded like someone who had just landed on this planet. He turned to me and asked, what's alcohol? This was after ages of hanging out in clubs, watching people get inebriated and ruthlessly making fun of them after years of him and Dwight doing impersonations, imitating drunks and the dumb things they say and do. But Bill was looking for what might be next. What's alcohol? What does it do? I told him, well, it kills your inhibitions. It makes it so you don't care about anything or what you do in front of other people. Whoa, whoops, wrong answer. I mean, it was the right answer, but it was the wrong thing to say to Bill. And Bill replied, that sounds perfect. What's a drink? What's a drink people drink? And um, they suggested margaritas. And Bill's answer to this was, okay, I'll have seven. And uh, (laughs) he hit seven shots of tequila before he went to do his his set. And... uh, so what is he like 20, 21? I mean, oh, early 20s. I mean, yeah, early 20s okay. here. Yeah. And uh, the disaster started when Bill was putting back the tequila. He had to listen to some of the customers fawning over the mediocre comics who were before him. So his contempt for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> before he even got, got on stage was overwhelming and he was in a rage and this is a this is a tequila drunk too. yeah yeah and so he was on fire and he just completely went off um quoting he tore into the audience. He said, you people, you're the ones responsible for Gary Coleman. You're the reason why Different Strokes is the number one show on TV. <laughs> he had never had alcohol before. And he just started, he had seven shots of tequila and he just started yelling at the audience, ranting about how the flag didn't represent anything. <laughs> started talking about the wars, Vietnam, Korea, they were BS. And... uh there, were, there was a couple sitting next to the stage who were getting a little salty. And uh, she said, my husband fought in Korea for your freedom. And uh, yeah, he fought in that war so you could have the freedom and the right to stand up there and say what you're saying. Bill fired back. Your husband do, didn't do anything for me. I didn't ask him to fight for me. I didn't ask for anything. Oh <laughs> so now you're getting into this just so... I think we've we've painted a pretty good picture of uh, of Bill and how Bill drunk um, how how the drinking would move his career forward, but how it would become you could see from the from the first set and the first seven shots of tequila how it could it could become a problem. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, I yeah. mean it. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say inhibitions are there for a reason, right? I mean, <laughs> not that you, not that you should, you know, a comedian shouldn't necessarily guard every single thing they say, but like, yeah, sometimes you're supposed to kind of hold back well, you gotta a little make bit. It, well, you got to make it palatable to people, you right? Know? right. <laughs> yeah, so you like, can't just get up and just start screaming at everybody, yeah, like it's right. insulting them. But, yeah, but it did. I mean, that clearly took. Uh, that was the direction. I mean, just like all the stuff he was talking about, it was like, oh, that's the stuff he actually thinks about. And that's, I mean, what led to the, you know, the the specials after that were, you know what I mean? Very entrenched in those ideas, uh, the anti-war stuff, especially. But um, 
Yeah, the contempt for uh, the hatred for the comics on stage before you uh, is something that I feel sober, so I can't imagine uh, what it feels like when you're hammered and you're just like, oh, yeah, this is the first time I've ever drank. Yeah, and, and never been drunk before. So, like, you don't even know, right. like, whoa, I'm kind of drunk. Like, yeah, you don't have any means of navigating it at all no right? dude yeah. nothing at all and yeah. yeah that's that's so funny because i because i find myself as a sober person uh finding it hard to not yell at the audience <laughs> for being dumb uh like and liking dumb shit so right. it's like I, I, <laughs> like so when i get on there i'm like yeah i was like oh man i can't imagine doing seven shots and then <laughs> At Big Rad Machine, everybody. Yeah, that's right. Big Rad yeah. Rad. <laughs> you could direct your questions to him. Uh, yeah, right. So we're going to talk about the alcohol. We're going to talk about this period in the middle of his career, but I want to read something from Lori, uh, the girlfriend. When Bill moved back to Houston from LA, we lived at my parents' house. It really wasn't as weird as it sounds. You want to hear weird? Weird is how he used to talk about my mother being really attractive. I know it now, but back then I had never heard the thing about teenage boys being into good-looking mothers. <laughs> Even more so, and I think this is pretty weird, he used to talk about, and I think seriously, that he really wished I would get little gray hairs put into my head. Dyed gray, no stripes, but a little dusting of gray. Bill and my mother had an odd relationship, not sexual, never physical, but they had something really interesting going on. He defi definitely bonded with her. For instance, he would go into the study with her, and I'm around, but doing something else, obviously, and have a couple of bottles of wine and just sit and talk to each other and drink wine for maybe three hours. That's a little weird, especially when your <laughs> girlfriend is in the same house. But my mom, she really resonated with him. Bill loved women, not just physically. I think he had a side of his persona that found everything about women, including how they think and act, unbelievably fascinating and attractive. He had a real deep attraction to women in all ways, almost in a spiritual, mystical way. Some of his love letters to me in high school even had that side to them. It was coming from somewhere deep inside, a place that was way beyond what you would expect to find in a 16-year-old. It was almost an obsession. Um, so I just think that's an, an interesting. Yeah. 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 And paint yeah, a bit, add some too, color yeah. to the Randy, Randy, what was it? The uh, Randy Pan, the goat boy. Right. Right. Cause that was all about a satyr, like super mm -hmm. horny character. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was, that was fascinating. So, you know, here we are, we're back in Houston. He's part of this outlaw comedy scene with uh, Jimmy Pineapple, Steve Epstein, Andy Huggins, John Fernetti, uh, these, these comics. He's, it's pretty widely recognized that he's the, the prince of them all. He's the, the princeling. He's the best. Um, he would also uh, get drunk really fast. He was a quick drunk. Uh, so that was not working in his favor. And this is when the, the really the really heavy drinking um, would start. Uh, a comic would come through town by the name of Jay Leno. And I personally think helping, um, helping Bill out is the best thing that Jay Leno ever did. Um, so Jay Leno uh, came through town, saw what Bill was doing, really liked what Bill, you know, was, yeah, really liked Bill's stuff. 
Um, and this is another thing. This is one of the things they say about Bill and Blake, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they, they call Bill Hicks a comedian's comedian. Comedians yeah. love Bill. It's like, it's like the Pixies, right? Normies maybe have never heard it, but everybody who listened to the Pixies started a band. Uh, yeah, is, right. is, that's the saying. Um, so it's sort of like that with Bill. So Leno, like Bill, made a promise and said, I'm going to help you uh, get on uh, Letterman. And um, Letterman at the time, too, was considered to be kind of hip and counterculture and a little bit edgy yeah. as far as those things, those things go. Yeah. Um, so this is pretty funny. This is, a, this is a story about Bill during this period dealing with the industry. So Jay Leno made, it, made good on a promise to Bill. And on his recommendation, Letterman's people decided to bring Bill into audition for the show. Big, big deal, right? Bill couldn't have designed a better way to sabotage the deal if he had wanted to. First, he didn't have a working phone line as the one in his apartment had been, had been cut off. A light motif of his lifestyle, large bills and non-payments. That'll happen. Late night producer Robert Morton had to call the comedy workshop in Houston. Then someone from the workshop had to go over to Bill's place and alert him to the fact that Letterman was looking for him. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. So uh, a friend arrived, right? So it's the biggest, the biggest event of his career so far, right? But perhaps the biggest break, he was not going to let uh, that stop him from tripping. He already had a date to do mushrooms with a friend. So his friend arrives and they chewed their caps and stems. He's waiting for a call from the Letterman show. <laughs> and they walked, they walked over to Rice University in Houston, tripping, good place for a walk. And at three o'clock, the friend reminded Bill that it was time to call. So he had to call in, right? From where, Bill asked. His friend offered the novel suggestion of a payphone. Bill, I don't even know the area code. So a couple of hours later, Bill finally got the courage to approach a payphone. He called the late night offices and asked for Morton, the fellow there. It was after five o'clock on the East Coast. So he missed out on this call. It would end up working out, but yeah. I think that's a <laughs> Yeah, that's, right. That's who oh, we're man. dealing with here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Insane. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, so he did, though. Um, he went out the one time, he got bumped, but eventually he, he made his way onto the Letterman show. And there's a good two hours of his appearances on Letterman uh, on YouTube, which are kind of interesting to watch. At the beginning, he's hardly recognizable. His material doesn't translate to that show. Uh, he had to work super clean he's making jokes about his name uh which are very kind of almost hack jokes about his wife being his sister uh <laughs> stuff like yeah. this being, being from the south and da 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 um but nevertheless he's on he's on letterman um so that's quite a quite a big deal quite a big break um, yeah that's book and now your book it's easier to book shows yeah. i mean in that time dude you were done i mean like you would sell out weekends just from being on you know, it's it's crazy. For five minutes, you, yeah. you you could do a you could do a late night set now, and people are like, "What? You've been on TV? Who are you?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Nobody, yeah. nobody knows. But yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, they used to be it. Yeah, huh. well, and he uh, he would go on Letterman a number of times, uh, rather famously, and it'll be one of the things we close with, as as it were. Uh, his final set for Letterman was axed; never made it to air. So we'll talk about mm -hmm. that as we, you know, near yeah. the end. Um, 
but it played a, a, a pretty big role in his career, right? It's, and I'll read about this. You, we have to remember at this point, he was really making a mess of his career. He was drinking so much that he wasn't getting bookings. Uh, mm-hmm. He was walking rooms. Uh, it was not good. So his career was, everything he said about Houston, he sabotaged it, right? Mm-hmm. He maybe should have stayed in LA and stayed sober. Instead, he goes back to Houston and, you know, he has a, he's a little bit on uh, Saint. I think it's Sane Man where he talks about, you're doing the bum hurdles and you're jumping over a bum and you shouldn't think that you're better than them because all it takes is the right uh, girl, the right friends and the right bar and you'll end up. He's got a good bit about that. And he lived it when he says that you could feel it. You really can. Mm. Um, Well, so it was December of 1984. Bill got his first shot on uh, late night with David Letterman. He called uh, Kevin after the taping and he said, well, I just did the Letterman thing. And he couldn't believe it. So Kevin calls his dad, his whole family, because everyone in my family thought Bill was a loser, a drug mm. addict, and an alcoholic. I told my dad to watch Bill. My dad told me he didn't stay up uh, that late and wanted to know if I could tape it. Uh, it wasn't just family. It was a lot of friends and acquaintances from high school and since. All the same people that used to diss Bill and talk about what a loser he was, uh, They couldn't be bothered to stay up another hour and turn on their TVs. Almost everybody I asked who I knew had known about the show said they missed it. Um, And so Bill, Bill was, uh, Bill was pretty angry about that. And I think rightly so, but I think that that passage there tells you just what a, what a loser. uh, Yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't like people back home were like cheering them on. Exactly. Well, I don't even know if it's like, were they, I mean, it's like, uh, I think part of it was the way he was acting right. too, you know yeah, what he I mean? Was a, I'm sure he was, like, a, so, yeah, he was probably so, a jerk. So you're, the guy's hammered all the time and uh, that's a nightmare, you know what I mean? That's yeah. a nightmare to be around and uh, especially if you are close, if you knew that person before them yeah. being drunk all the time like yeah for sure so there is so you know maybe they're just like i'm done with you like i'm done with this like you know yeah uh, good well, for you for- well well yeah and you gotta you have to i would have to imagine that the way that he cut into that audience that first night he got drunk he probably cut into people in his personal life <laughs> like that <laughs> right at exactly. least sometimes yeah. you know right. right so yeah there's probably some people that uh he walked rooms he's probably walked a couple get-togethers too yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know anything about that, Brad. Uh, so, oh boy. I, I want to dwell on this a little bit because it's very important. And we're really in the dark night of the soul here. Um, his brother, Steve, would say that he was drinking suicidally. Uh, and this is Kevin Booth again. Uh, yeah. Bill was aware that Coke was the drug that made you feel an endless void. You were constantly chasing. After that initial rush, you were beset with the feeling of, God, I need something. That's so much of what Bill was like when he was an alcoholic and a drug addict. He was a black hole trying desperately to fill some huge void in his life. He would suck anything in if he thought it might help. When he was all coked out, he would sometimes talk to me about this. He would try to figure out what that void was. Did he have something? Did it have something to do with his parents with his inability to find love? Was it because his girlfriends all cheated on him? On multiple occasions, Bill told me he felt like he had had some kind of psychic injury during his birth. 
He was mm. endlessly infatuated with his own birth. When he took acid, sometimes he would describe the experience of having gone through a rebirthing process. When you're young and you cut yourself, you scar your skin. That scar grows in size as your body grows and you become an adult. With Bill, the same thing had happened with his psychological scars. The emotional scars cut into his psyche when he was young. They just grew in size as he did. And Kevin here is saying, during those days, the drugs really did control everything, took precedent over everything. And uh, I mean, yeah, he, he, Kevin's saying he was the guy already who could do the amazing thing that we talked about earlier, Blake, hold an audience for an hour. Yeah, but right. At, but at this point, the drugs had him. He was like a vacuum. And that vacuum drank a lot of Jack Daniels and did mm. a lot of Coke. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I get, I mean, it's like, uh, cause I used to have the same problem with, uh, with booze. I mean, it's the, it's what it is. It's like obsessive. It's the same way I am with stand up. It's obsessive. It's always there. It's always on my mind. So it's like, I feel like that's part of it, right? Like it's the obsession of, it's very easy to get addicted to drugs. It's very easy to get addicted to stand up. You know what I mean? It's all feeding the same endorphins uh release right so he's just constantly chasing that what will what will turn that on you know mm -hmm. and uh sometimes leads down those dark areas of uh drugs and alcohol yeah 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 i'm saying yeah and this is true and you know we've seen this in other subjects we've talked about too you know there's a reason why there's this connection between drugs and alcohol and and artists of all stripes it's they do they might, it's on some in some way it's on the same circuit yeah yeah, yeah. to occupy i think cormac mccarthy called drinking a writer's occupational hazard yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i got one more bit about the drinking just because i want to paint the paint that picture yeah. fully uh so there were toxic, scary nights to the point where Bill would be obnoxious, talking above the room and yelling at some patrons as the others stared at him while trying not to stare at him. Then from there, we would go to the comedy club. There were nights plural like that. Bill would warm up with a beer or two. During peak drinking days, he might down a whole six pack at the apartment before heading out. Once at a bar or the workshop, his main drink of choice would be Jack Daniels, but people would also buy him shots. He would down whatever. If you handed him a glass of Everclear, he would drink it. If you handed him a glass of Mad Dog 2020, he'd drink it. A glass of Schlitz, it didn't matter. Mix and match, beer, wine, hard liquor. He'd wake up with a horrible hangover and wonder why it was so bad. I'd tell him, well, you drank a trifecta, Bill. Those things will clash. He just didn't matter. <laughs> Um, but the point, the point is here is that he was on this scene and they were all doing this mm -hmm. and they were all sort of, they thought they were like, kind of like a rat pack, but no class. <laughs> they right, were like, right. they yeah. weren't being chauffeured around. They were like the dirty Houston comedy rat pack. Mm. Um, now <laughs> there's a funny story here about a night he had with Kinnison, um, in Austin where they nearly caused a riot. <laughs> so uh and i think so he was at the comedy workshop in austin with kinnison kinnison had been on saturday night live a couple of times and <laughs> and sam warmed up bill with a guest set he got on stage and started yelling and screaming about women his wife and his divorce there was a sizable group of frat guys in the audience and 
both Bill and Sam hated frat guys. They represented everything they hated. So uh, Sam's yelling about women turned into yelling about frat boys, which degenerated into straight up the crowd just yelling at them (laughs) back and forth. (laughs) So at the end of the show, the workshop manager came up and said, we're going to have to get them out of here. (laughs) They had to like race, race them out (laughs) of the club to save these guys uh, from, from the, the frat boys in uh, on sixth street. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh man. Down in Austin. (laughs) I just think that's tremendous. I just love that. Um, yeah, so, man. you know, it's a dark time and he's not really furthering his career that much, but he kind of is. He's on Letterman. He's moving around, you know, but he's the booze really has a has a hold on him. And uh, let's say, though, there's something here that happens where. Oh, here it is. Um, Bill loved Elvis. Do you all remember that from his uh, from his uh, specials yeah. from Albums. He would, he would do a good Elvis, wouldn't he? Like, hey, yeah, another, yes, another, another tonk, yeah. Tonka truck for you, honey. All right, <laughs> <laughs> a Hot Wheel for you, honey. Uh, but so we're in 1987, it's September. Houston Post declares Bill Houston's king of comedy, huh. and the author there, Riley Barber, said, "What Bill is doing on stage is a direct reflection of what Bill is. It isn't derived from anywhere else." There is no facade. Bill takes the truth and makes it funny. So he's, he's somebody who, in this dark period, this is Art of Darkness, right? Artofdarkpod.com, right? Uh, he, he, the booze and the darkness, he did find something. There was like an alchemy of pain that he went into. And his really heroic achievement was to come out of it. But we're going to get to that. Um, he loved uh, Elvis and being declared the king was perfect uh, because the real king was one of Bill's heroes. Bill loved Elvis. He loved Elvis, Elvis almost as much as he loved porn. <laughs> Although in a, in a completely different way. Uh, whereas some idols faded, uh, Woody Allen gave way to Pryor as Bill got older. Bill loved Elvis from the beginning to the end. From about the uh-huh. time he was seven until he was maybe 11 years old, every Christmas, every birthday, Bill asked his family for gifts of Elvis records. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He, he went to go see him at the rodeo. I just think it's tremendous. Huh. And Bill thought that Elvis was a perfect metaphor for America. You start out young and cool. You're rebellious and insolent. But that's part of what makes you great, what draws people to you. But you get drunk on your own success. You get old and fat and become a self-parody of everything you ever stood for. And it was that fat Elvis that Bill really thought was a hoot. There was excess (laughs) in all its glory. Bill, he had everything he could possibly want and was still completely miserable. You judge a culture by how happy the people are, not by how much money they have. Mm. Uh, so it's just a little <laughs> bit of that. <laughs> yeah. I never thought about Elvis that way. Yeah. No, me yeah. neither. That makes sense. Yeah. Huh. That's great. <clears throat> well, so, okay. I want to make sure I, I nail all this. So we're coming up to his, his next big break. And this comes from, uh, Rodney Dangerfield Mm. and Dangerfield had a show. uh, It was an HBO show, something young comedians, something or other. Yeah. The young comedians special. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, that was like the big thing to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right on. And so Bill got to go out. He flew to New York and auditioned um, for Rodney himself and he bombed. 
And he called home to say it went terrible. He went back to Houston. Even his own people admitted that his set was bad, but none of it mattered because Dangerfield loved him. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're all going to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let's go, Rodney. I love that yeah. story. And yeah. um, uh, so, yeah, really, it, it's cool. Well, I, there's another story here because I, I like this. Um, the comedians were supposed to bring their own one-liner for Rodney to use it as an intro. John Fernetti had come up with one for Bill to use. The next guy is so ahead of his time that his parents have not even met yet. When Bill fed it to, Danger <laughs> fed it to Dangerfield, the elder statesman told him it wasn't funny enough. No, that's funny. Try it, Bill insisted. Dangerfield used the line. It got a room laugh. The next day when Bill walked by Dangerfield's dressing room, he told Hicks he was right. The line was funny. What do I know? Dangerfield said. <laughs> um, so at this point, Bill is struggling with sobriety. He's working on his sobriety. And uh, he had stayed sober for the audition, but afterwards he let loose, he let rip. And according to another comedian who had first known Bill from L.A., I know there were stories about how Rodney Dangerfield was a monster partier, did huge amounts of coke, and he made a comment about Bill. Bill did one of the young comedian specials, and even Rodney told him, whoa, kid, you got to slow down. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, Rodney was a guy, he was doing it into his 60s, right? Mm -hmm. He was yeah. doing it, I feel like, on his deathbed. Dude. Probably, he was yeah. Doing yeah. blow and, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so there's a bit here about uh, – Dice and Bill not getting along uh, and all the rest of it. <laughs> so apparently some other comedian called Dice Fonzie with Tourette's, uh, <laughs> which is pretty cruel. <laughs> it's a little rough. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just worth noting. So, I mean, Bill, Bill just thought he was a hack and he hated a lot of hacks, but I mean, a lot of people also, I mean, I don't think Bill necessarily made the most friends either. Um, he got really drunk, got violent uh, with one of his girlfriends, mm -hmm. apologized. They were never going to get it, you know, uh, never going to drink again. That's the level of, of alcoholism and, and abuse that we're dealing with. Uh, mm. But then something really monumental would happen. And Kevin Booth calls this the most important event of Bill's life. Mm. And they would go out by this ranch they had. I think it was maybe in Kevin's family. It was in one of the families out by Fredericksburg, which is West of Austin. Uh, and in the, in Hill country, beautiful country. And there was something called the harmonic convergence. All the planets would align, right? There was this like, planetary alignment, something it had something to do with the constellations or whatever. And they were going to, they were going to trip. And this is where uh, they tripped, they sat back down, and the next thing they knew, they opened their eyes, and they had a UFO experience. Oh, yeah. Whoa. They, the inside of the ship was like a conch shell. So this is Kevin. I walked down a circular ramp through a hallway of light and headed toward a, uh, toward a circle of light. The beings, they were glowing. Describing how things 
looked, it's, it sounds absurd, but they, they look like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, specifically in the episode where he emerges from the forest looking like an alien. His eyes dilated, his body glowing green. The aliens were lustrous like that. Bill and I were both in the ship. He was asking questions like, why are you here? Why is this happening? I remember coming out with explanations of time travel and a firm belief that the barriers to time travel and communication were all inside your mind. Basically, anything was possible. Then they realized, leaving the ship, they, op- they opened each other's eyes. They said a few words. After that, we realized we were able to communicate telepathically. <laughs> and so they were, they were to- they totally had their minds blown. Uh, and it was out of this ex- experience uh, that Bill had the insight coming out of this uh, that he had to get sober. Wow. Uh, so he, he wasn't able to get sober immediately after the harmonic convergence event, but he had the insight while he was tripping outside of the trip, coming back from it. He said, God, I want to get sober. I have to get sober. Well, isn't Uh, that like, uh, that's sort of like the thing that he was searching for, like, you know, like he was taking all these drugs, like at first to open his mind up to whatever. And then mm-hmm. he found the thing. And then he was like, oh, I don't have to. I don't have to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah I don't have to do this anymore. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like he, fi- he filled that void of whatever it was. You know what I mean? Because I think, I mean, you know, not just finding out that you get sober, but like the higher consciousness thing that he was looking for, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. He had the, he had the transcendent mystical <laughs> experience. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. You can see. Uh, wow. That's so, but so he, Bill and Kevin saw the same, had the same experience, right? Like they, they shared a trip. That's... Where they, they became one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm what looking up. Uh, I'm gonna put the the next harmonic convergence on the calendar, Kevin, and we'll, yeah, we'll get some plane yeah. tickets. <laughs> Let's do it, Fredericksburg. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, you you know you're my podcast husband. Yeah, we might as well right. go on the. Uh, yeah, we might as well go on the ship together. Um, yeah, and that to me is is really beautiful. And it uh, just he he got what he needed out of that, and he started going to AA, uh, and. He went to New York City after this. Uh, he replaced the addiction with food. They would eat, he would eat a lot. And he just up and left for New York too. And mm. there's a point where he talks about, and I can't recall where this was, but it was a, it was a case of saying, when you, when you want to get sober, you have to cut certain people out of your life. They can come back later, but if you're in this, enabling circle of people you've got to find a way to get out of it and that's what he did and moving to new york to pursue comedy and to be on his own was his maneuver and it turns out that it that it worked Mm -hmm. uh so he was able to go to new york city it took him about six months to come back he's doing aa and uh he's doing the steps and all the rest and after about six months now he's starting to perform comedy doing the letterman sets not screwing it up, not getting bookers to blackball him. <laughs> you know, he's doing, yeah. he's doing the work. Um, so he would have this, this period out in New York City. 
and then he would come back to Houston, Houston later in 88, sober, and then he gets up on stage and he's 25 years old and he's doing comedy like a 10-year veteran, talking about sobriety, drinks, coke, and they note again here, the stamina is back. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. Bill, Bill has gone through the harmonic convergence, <laughs> gone to New York City, starting to make it in New York City, and he's putting the work on himself, mm-hmm. and he's able to come back in this heroic way. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, sober. And that's why we have all these amazing albums and all this great material. And if Bill had not tripped those mushrooms, had not had that experience, had not had the, that insight that he needed to get sober, we may not even be t- having this episode right now today. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. We wouldn't be. Yeah. Huh. The harmonic convergence that. of Bill Hicks. That's Yeah, that's yeah, title. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, yeah. I think so. Bill Hicks uh, harmonic, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't subscribe to this, like, uh, idea that comedians have to be through, like, some, like, uh, you know, some trials or, like, have, have a terrible life or whatever, or have some, like, you know, terrible shit happen to them. But uh, it does give you a perspective that is deeper. Um, and I think being so young in comedy, when you don't have a perspective like that, like uh, like he was, I think maybe that was also something he was searching for, like that deeper whatever, like that deeper level. Yeah, of, yeah, you're uh, being talking so about that. Yeah, being so young, not having experience, but knowing you need it for yeah, the right. Art form so he's, kind of so thing. he's constantly searching for how to get it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, other than just doing everything, right, you know? right, uh, right, right. Well, bottoming out on alcohol and then being taken aboard a UFO. I mean, that's yeah, right. a lifetime's yeah. worth of <laughs> worth of conversation, right? <laughs> that'll do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And having this communion with your bros when you feel mm-hmm. like you've you've been an alien your entire life, and that feeling, if it doesn't get wiped away, maybe you get you get a different perspective on it. Yeah. And, right. I'm happy that he did it and I'm happy that he came back because that's where we get all this, this great uh, material. Now, this isn't to say that when he comes back sober, he's happy or a, a glowing, you know, friendly personality <laughs> on stage. He still had that anger and still had that bite. Uh, Blake, are you familiar with the famous Chicago meltdown? The set? Where oh, he went yeah, on? yeah. 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 Dude. What do you yeah, know about that? that? I'm, a, I'm a drunk. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I watch it. I watch it. Uh, I watch it probably once a year, maybe twice a year. <laughs> and that's uh, yeah. It's because it's like you know, there's those people are still there. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, yeah. you still get those people. It's not. Uh, it's not that often, but there is always a person that's just awful. And uh, yeah, man. I mean, everyone's had that moment of wanting to do that, and he just did it. So it's crazy, yeah. Completely melting down on these hecklers and just completely uh, being savage, things that we're not going to say right now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolute. You know what? On the Patreon episode, the After Dark episode, I'm going to put a pin in it right now. I'm going to read this passage. So we're going to get the bit about uh, Bill Hicks being Alex Jones, and then I'm going to read some from this uh, famous meltdown in Chicago. And um, (laughs) yeah, so... (laughs) This is where we're, we're going to get into the, the actual specials. And the first one was Sane Man yeah. at the last stop in Austin. 
And that that's one of my favorite all time comedy specials. What's better than? Yeah, I think what it's a, I think it's a, it's my favorite of his. Yeah, by far, uh, because it is a transitional. Um, it's transitional between his old material and his new material, like between uh, the old version of him, which was jokes and very um, just centered around jo- like it was so jokey at the beginning, and then it transitioned into the more of who he was in Revelations and um, all of that. You know what I mean? Where it was more of a point and having that. Like it still had that, but uh, like, I mean, the, the door is a jar bit is probably one of my <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, my, my friends and I dropped acid. Yeah, my friends and I <laughs> dropped acid and we got pulled over and I'll put that up against any drunk driving story you, you've got. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was looking in the mirror over here, thinking that the, that I was talking to the cop (laughs) 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 over here. And then, you know, that was, that's a different part of the bit, but it was like, we, we tripped in a car, we opened the door, the door is ajar. We thought about that for 12 hours, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, I mean, it's so good. The door is ajar, man. What? The jar is so, a car. We put, what yeah. we put the car in the jar. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, he opens on the Waffle House waitress thing. Yeah. Um, which Looks is such like a, we like, got us a reader. A reader, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a weird, it's weird to, uh, it's such a harsh open. Like, if you really think about it, it is a harsh, it is a harsh, like, open of making your Punching down at a Waffle House waitress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a hard. That is a hard open. And yeah. uh, but he still does it and pulls it off. It's crazy, man. It's uh, yeah, it's a wild. I mean, it's different. I mean, it was obviously different in '89 or whatever, or '90, whenever it was recorded. But uh, a little bit different of a. It's a little easier to make fun of a waitress, but I do think that it is still a crazy thing to open on. To yeah. be like, yeah, these these fucking idiots. Like, it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, yeah. What you reading for? What am I reading yeah. for? I don't know. Maybe so I don't end up being a waffle waitress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is great. I love that special. I had it on VHS back in the day. It was just, it's so and great. The, and the, like, um, stuff that he does later on, too, where, it, like, um, does those weird almost sixties music video things where it trans like there's in the background, there's a picture that'll come in and mm-hmm. it's sort of wavy, you know what I mean? And like, or mm-hmm. like won't always just be him on stage, but it looks like a, yeah, like a black Sabbath music video sort of, you know, uh, where stuff's going on in the background or whatever. It's cool. Yeah. I believe Kevin Booth worked with him on that. So there yeah. he's got his bros and they're all working together. And and then this is where the things really start to break. He records uh, Dangerous, the album, in 1990. And that's the big one. Yeah, at Caroline's in uh, New York City. That's the one. What's the cover of Dangerous look like? Wait, is that I, thought he record, I thought he recorded the Dangerous half hour for HBO uh, in Chicago. Oh, you know what? I might have. Yeah, I, I think I'm talking about the album, not the... the oh, album. okay. My yeah. bad, my bad. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. I want to get it right because now now we're kind no, of... No, it looks it- like Dangerous... Well, there is an album, Dangerous. And on the cover, it's sort of black and white. He's a little mm-hmm. bit... He's on stage, kind of in silhouette, kind of like 
Yeah. You know, it's in a little bit of a romantic yeah. pose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he did the HBO special titled the same thing. It was okay. like a half hour oh, okay. uh, it, at the Vic in uh, Chicago. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was the same. It was the same title. Mm. Yeah, it's saying here. This is in Britannica. In 1990, Hicks recorded a set in Chicago for one night stand, an HBO special, and then he would do a set in Montreal at the what is it, the Montreal Comedy Festival? Uh, just for yeah, laughs. It was, yeah. yeah, it was JFO. Yeah, yeah. And so now, now it's on. And it's sort of amazing how quickly it all starts to fall into place uh, after he gets sober and he starts to get his, get his act together. Um, Bill pulled the quote from Thomas Jefferson for the, the title Dangerous. Uh, the quote is, no idea is dangerous to society wherein that idea can be openly discussed. That's why the album is called Dangerous, because I'm discussing drugs and things drugs do. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> Hang on, I'm gonna have a little little drinky of water. Yeah. Um, what do you remember about that special, uh, uh, Blake? Well, it's the first time he got killed on stage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> first time he, uh, yeah, he he got assassinated by whatever. Well, because he, he start, he's talking about JFK and everything, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does that in that one, or does he? Uh, oh, he's, is that in that one? No, Maybe it might have been. It might have been where he does talks about. Well, it might have been one of the ones where he's talking about how all the all the heroes, all the good people get killed. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. That's yeah. it. That's that's Jesus the angle, killed, Gandhi right. killed, John yeah. Lennon killed, yeah, yeah, Reagan right. wounded. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's, that's the bit. thing. Because he does because he does the uh drugs there's no good drug stories joke on mm-hmm. that. Uh yeah. that's also the beginning of the I don't know what how to describe it, but the um, outright condescension towards the audience. Uh, <laughs> so he'll say something to them and then be like, okay, okay. Like, you're like, you're like this is how it is. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't yeah, think yeah. that way, you're wrong. He literally right. says that at some point. If you, <laughs> and if you don't think that, you're wrong. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> he does no, sort of have that that incredible over the top i've seen the aliens i've thought through all this stuff i am ahead mm-hmm. of you now listen mm-hmm. listen to me bring the truth to you peon mm-hmm. right quality which some people <laughs> might chafe at they might not like yeah. it it's, i'm here to see a little comedy show with my, right. my girlfriend and this guy's talking about jfk what well and I think we can already see the seeds we're planting here as you, if you want to make the case that Bill Hicks is Alex Jones, he's right. already started. Right, the right, aliens. right. We've got the yeah. JFK conspiracy, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so the, the way that this goes, because now we're in the high water mark of his career, almost. Uh, the way this goes is uh, he, he does the HBO Dangerous. He does a few minutes at the Montreal Comedy Fe- Festival. Then he's invited back to JFL to do, to headline, uh, yeah. to do an hour. And, and that's where he does Relentless. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it's quite funny because he shows up in a turtleneck, but it's in the summer and, he, and he's like in a jacket and a turtleneck. And he talks about, he's like, I don't know why I thought apparently summer in Canada means summer everywhere else. <laughs> everywhere, yeah, yeah. And he's oh, sweating. Yeah, I think my two favorite jokes of his he opens on, and they don't even do that well. 
That's the mm. craziest part. Is, yeah. Uh, he does the um, boss joke about, uh, yeah, I like, I like stand-up because I'm my own boss. Because uh, I hated having a boss. He'd be like, Hicks, why are you standing around? Yeah. And I'd be like, uh, there's nothing to do. He's like, well, pretend, pretend you're working. He's like, how about you pretend I'm working? You, <laughs> <laughs> you're you get paid, paid more, more than, than, me. than me. You fantasize. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that. That's such a great joke. <laughs> it is. And then, and then he does, and this is something that you said earlier, where he, you know, he, he got sober, but he wasn't happy. Like he's like, I got a face where people just ask me what's wrong all the time. <laughs> Like people will be like, you know, it takes more muscles to frown that doesn't smile. He's like, you know, it takes more energy to uh, say that it doesn't than to not talk to me or whatever. Like <laughs> right. those are the first two jokes <laughs> off of that, and it's so good. I missed a bit uh, that I wanted to cover about his relationship to smoking because, of course, that was a really important thing for him, uh, mm. and uh, I think it's worth because he would smoke on stage, and that was a big oh, part. Yeah. yeah. So here's what he has to say about smoking. I love to smoke. To me, everything about smoking is cool. When I hear Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, a cigarette magically appears in my hand and I am there. Smoking is Miles Davis. Smoking is Tom Waits. Smoking is Bob Dylan. Smoking is Keith Richards. Billy Ray Cyrus does not smoke. Michael (laughs) Bolton doesn't smoke. Paula Abdul doesn't smoke. Is this clear? I'm not saying people who don't smoke aren't cool, although there does seem to be a pattern. I'm saying a lot of cool people smoke, and smoking is part of their coolness. Uh, I know I surprised a few people when I toured the UK last year. During the first tour, I was smoking and discussing my love of smoking on stage. By the time the second tour had begun, I had quit smoking, and all the people who liked what I did before seemed genuinely hurt and betrayed. People were yelling, Judas and traitor. Uh, and throwing cigarettes at me on stage. I was like Dylan going electric. Well, it was all all done in good fun, except the lit ones. I explained my new lifestyle quite ingeniously. There's nothing uh, quite like a hail of burning embers raining down upon you to make you quick on your feet. I told everyone the point of my old smoking routine was that I should have the right to smoke, even if if you think I shouldn't. Now I should have the right not to smoke, even if you think I should. The point is the freedom to choose. After explaining this to the audience, they calmed down somewhat. While cigarettes were still thrown, fewer and fewer lit ones were flicked at my head. <laughs> Dude, oh, uh, that you brought it back up now. The, my favorite smoking bit of his is the uh, one where he goes, you know my favorite non-smoker is? The guy that comes up to you and like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's like man that's a hell of a coffee you got there you're lucky you don't smoke <laughs> yeah I, I smoke i don't i smoke i don't cough like that that's right? <laughs> well then he has that bit he's like what kind of sadist are you you go up to a guy in wheelchair and go yeah, right, oh, yeah. race you iron sides yeah what's wrong <laughs> what's wrong iron sides can't keep up that's so funny yeah it's so funny dude yeah yeah tremendous well so we really are now arriving at the the high watermark he uh he puts out the montreal comedy festival uh hour goes out and the same people who produced that and nudged him along there uh helped him break in england 
And the way this England thing happened is, and you can make the connection, right? Canada, England, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the England thing, ha- thing happened, and he describes this, and it's, there's something that is maybe not quite as well known. He, there's an episode of an old, hardcore, mid-90s uh, cable access show from Austin where he goes yep. on. And it is so cool and so interesting. It's like a little slice of the 90s in Austin. You can get the flavor of it. And he does a, a call-in show, like a really ridiculous. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, after, it's after his letterman gets pulled. Yeah. It's after right. his last uh, letterman gets pulled. Yeah, it's like right, so, before, right before he dies. Yeah, so really worth watching that if you're really into what we're doing here. It's he's funny on it. He did have a tendency; he would do bits when he was being yeah. interviewed. He he had that tendency, but they're still great bits. Uh, mm-hmm. But he he also talked about Waco on that. If you want to track the the transformation into Alex Jones, uh, <laughs> he he and Kevin Booth went to the Branch Davidian compound. They, they got as close as they could while it was happening. And Bill was just completely convinced that the government was just pure evil. Mm. After that, there's some material he did where clearly they were, they were thinking about doing some sort of a funny, like a news show. Uh, he was trying to cover the situation there, but in a comic way. It's worth, worth checking out if you're really into deep uh, Alex Jones, Bill Hicks lore. Um, but you could, you could sort of see why people might make that connection. Ooh, he dies shortly after going to Waco trying to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then Alex Jones appears. But okay, we'll get into that on the After Dark episode. <laughs> but um, he, he's over in England. And he, uh, what, the way this went down is they had four, four channels over in England at the time, hmm. right? Th- this is before cable, right? And they aired all of his stuff on primetime television in the uk unedited whoa and so he arrived in the uk and he was already a rock star before he even showed up Um, uh that's that's i mean you can tell when he comes out in revelations he goes it's me bill you're in the right place like i (laughs) mean that that's like and they go crazy like it's it's insane he is a huge he's huge huh Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, and so he, I mean, he did this big theater tour, but it's so funny because he does that tour. The English understand him, the, the, the British, the Brits understand him and he's on national television. He's a household name. And then he comes back and he's playing the possum, possum hole or whatever it is, a possum, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, in Arkansas or whatever. And he, he had a sense of that. And, uh, but what a trip, absolutely mm. wild. Um, <clears throat> so yeah and then he does revelations and for me i like the revelation special uh if only because of the whole shtick i love he comes out in a duster and a cowboy hat yeah and yeah yeah, yeah really fun <laughs> um there's a little bit of uh hicks lore around the previous special we were talking about the one that uh that came out of montreal was that relentless relentless, that the one? relentless. Yeah. yeah where at the end if you watch you'll see him say the Beatles at the end. If you watch him when he's exiting, but they couldn't get the rights to the music that he wanted to play. <laughs> so it ends up being Hendrix. So it doesn't jive. Like they yeah. heard the beat. Yeah. They heard the Beatles in the crowd that night, but on at home you hear Hendrix. Oh, yeah. Apparently and, and, it's easy. And, yeah. 
and he comes out to Hendrix in uh, in Revelations too. So it looks like mm. he's just obsessed with Hendrix, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, no, he was. It was the Beatles at the end of that one. Yeah, huh? There was apparently there was some tension over over in England too, where the people he was working with were all very Hollywood people, and they stayed at the fancy hotel. They flew first class. He stayed at a more modest hotel. He flew coach. There was a little bit of that kind of going on, and. Uh, Bill, Bill never felt comfortable with the industry. And of course, I think it's on uh, Revelations where, is it Revelations where he says, if you're in marketing, kill yourself? Oh, yeah. And then he does the whole yeah. bit. He's like, oh, he's doing the anti-marketing thing. Right. That's really big right now. <laughs> oh, he's doing, oh, Bill's going for the anger market. That's right. really, oh, people oh. really connect with that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's why that special is good is because it takes – Everything he's built up, every iota of who he was before that, and it all comes together pretty well mm-hmm. into being okay. Like it starts out with like he does those jokes about the LA rioters and the riots and like getting in the whatever in the uh, the right of way, the the yeah, yeah, yeah. right of way law. Like that is a joke. Like it's a very good joke, right? And then it transitions into the, like, there's the preachy and then it gets to the conspiracy and then it gets to this one consciousness. Everything's just a ride, right? Like it all is the whole transformation of Bill's life. Essentially, if you can look at it like that, I don't know. That's how I look at it. It's weird. But yeah. Fun. Well, I have, a questionnaire from him in the summer of 1992 that he, that he answered. And then I think we can, we can move forward, but I think this is quite good. These are a number of questions. He said, what is your idea of perfect happiness, playing music, performing, creating, what is your greatest fear answering introspective questions about myself (laughs) Uh, (laughs) with which historical figure do you most identify? Don't identify with anyone historically, but there are several people in the future who I am a dead ringer for. Uh, Whoa! Okay. <laughs> who do you admi- who do you most admire? All the poets, all the prophets. What do you most deplore about others? Ignorance, dishonesty. What vehicles do you own? A left foot and a right foot. What is your greatest extravagance? My guitars. What do you always carry with you? My guitars. What makes you depressed? Human suffering, especially my own. Hmm. What do you most dislike about your appearance? My receding hairline. What is your favorite smell? Women. What is your most unappealing habit? Smoking. What is your favorite word? Release. What is your favorite building? My home. What is your favorite journey? The inner journey or my home, whichever comes first. Uh, What or who is your greatest love? Lori, Pamela, Jennifer, Robin, Massey, Lisa, (laughs) (laughs) Which living person do you most despise? Every politician, no exceptions. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? Cool. Later, dude. Look, a pumpkin. <laughs> what, is, what is your greatest regret? Lori, etc. When and where were you happiest? March 6th, 1986, 3.30 p.m., Raleigh, North Carolina. How do you relax? Playing guitar. What single thing would most improve the quality of your life? Quit smoking. Which talent would you most like to have to be able to sing? What would your motto be? Let go and let God. What keeps you awake at night? Loneliness and fear. How would you like to die? Rich, happy, and very old. 
how would you like to be remembered? Rich, happy, and very old, but serious as an artist who is true to himself. Mm. Well, he got one of them. Yeah. That's (laughs) great. Yeah. Man, that thing that that was really cool. That's that's that whole questionnaire is really neat. The one thing that really stuck out to me though is when maybe he was just having a laugh, but when they asked him when was he most ha- most happy, it was a specific minute in a specific place. I don't. There's something that stuck out about that. Part me. of me, part of me thinks that's a joke. Yeah, uh, I do think something cool happened in Raleigh, but probably. I think- uh he was just like oh it'd be very funny just to say a very specific right 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 (laughs) well i want to move forward because in the interest of time we're we're already well into our our three here uh yeah dude so i just want to want to reiterate there was the waco business and uh they, he he took that very seriously. That was a big breaking point for him. I mean, he was already skeptical of the, the government, but the rage that came out of him out of that incident was incandescent. Uh, you can hear him talk about it in that Austin uh, public access business. Um, he would come back to the United States from England. He would uh, spend a little more time living out in LA. There was a situation in England now where he's a household name and he was able to, um, to get a, a TV show that he was going to be doing. Um, oh my gosh, it's such a funny name. And I cannot remember for the life of me what it, what it was. I think it might've been called like the counts of the Netherworld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Counts of the Netherworld okay. directed by Kevin Booth, uh, Kevin Booth. And, uh, <laughs> But it never it never made its way to air. What ended up happening with with Bill here is that he started having um, he started having stomach pain. And I want to get the timeline right here because he he got his diagnosis. He did not tell everybody right away. Mm. Now they were working on Arizona Bay. This would not be released until he had already passed away. He was released posthumously. Uh, Working on Arizona Bay, he called it his dark side of the moon. We're talking about June of 93. The stomach problems were so bad, he had to go to the hospital. He got his diagnosis. They drove back to Houston. Uh, His brother flew out. He told his family. And this is something that the family is very intense about. They're like, they wanted to dispel this idea that was Bill was estranged from his family, which you could maybe pull from the material. You'd think, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this guy. But no, he he went home. He spent time with his family. He really bonded with with his mother, and they made that forty hour drive back from mm-hmm. from L A to Houston, and he just continued to perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was working on yeah yeah until he we, couldn't. I mean, until it was he literally until, yeah. until he couldn't. And then he moved in with his parents and, uh, yeah. Yeah. For like six months, you know, whatever it was mm. and then yeah. passed away. But yeah, that last, I mean, I think the last big thing he did was that Letterman set that got pulled. Yeah. So he, we can move, we can blow by it a little bit. We should, but we should pause to talk about it. He went on Letterman and he, uh, they ended up cutting his set, which is crazy to think about him with cancer, going on Letterman, telling people this is probably the last time I'm going to do this. 
And then they end up cutting it. And he was very, very angry. And he was very vocal about it. He lost a lot of respect for, uh, for Letterman and all Dave. the rest. Yeah, for Dave. But years later, uh, Dave would have his mother on, would have Bill's mom on in oh. February of 2009. And huh. he apologized to her on air and then aired the set in 2009. Yeah. So yeah. That's a, that's and, a pretty boss move. Yeah. Man. It was, uh, and I don't think it was Dave. I think it was, and maybe it was Dave. I think it was partially Dave, but I think uh, it's that it was those, the Christianity jokes, man. It was the yeah. cross joke and the Easter pro life. Yeah, yeah. And pro life. Yeah. Pro life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Don't they just look like they're so full of life? Right? Don't they look like they're so full of joie de vie, the pro-life people? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, yeah. favorite joke, my, my favorite joke in that set is not even that. It's the, uh, the dancing joke about how good uh, a guy is at dancing is how good he's in imbe- he is in bed. Yeah. And uh, he's like, who cares if a guy is good? That means he's gay. <laughs> yeah. uh, amazing and, and then he does that fucking joke that i think is so good and it's like really progressive is that he does the uh heather's new mommies and daddy's new roommate like that <laughs> yeah that joke and he goes uh and i just think this is disgusting folks i mean I'm talking about daddy's new roommate. Uh, Heather's new mommy's is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. mommy's go, which is like, Oh cool. It's like playing on that homophobia that was so popular yeah. in like the late eighties, yeah, yeah. early nineties where you're like, Oh, I can twist this right. and then twist it again. And you, people don't even know that he's doing it. And it's, right. it's brilliant. Right. Yeah. Well, so there would be uh, there would be a final trip, and he would he would trip with the boys mm. one last time, and he would finally tell them that he was that he was gonna die mm. from the pancreatic cancer, and you can just about imagine the the symptoms that go along with a stomach cancer. You're can't keep food down. You're nauseous. You feel sick. You're ill. Uh, it just cannot be, um, pleasant. And, um, yeah, this is interesting. Wasn't so there some, mm-hmm. sorry, wasn't there some sets he did where like looking back, he's like actually like holding on to his side or something. I feel like I remember this. Mm, that wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. I don't recall. There I don't is, recall. There mm-hmm. is his last, his last headlining set is on YouTube. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it is, yeah, I mean, he looks not. He doesn't great. look good. Yeah. <laughs> mm. look good. I want to, and but let's just pause to say what an absolute chad for continuing yeah. to yeah. stand up. <laughs> and he said, he said himself that it all goes away. It all, that, yeah. all those worries and things would go away while he would go mm-hmm. into his work. Mm-hmm. Um, so right before he died, this is Kevin again, Bill sent the rest of the mushrooms we had taken for that trip back with Colleen to give to Dave and me. I buried them in the yard. In the wake of Bill's huh. death, we had been doing so many interviews and inter- interviews that mentioned the use of mushrooms that I had become paranoid. I thought I'd be safer if they were out of sight. On the one year anniversary of that last trip, David and I went back to the ranch to finish off what Bill had left us. Uh, but the spirit was gone. We were each in our worlds, David and I, but we had a duty to honor the memory of our, fr- our friend. We both took a ton of mushrooms and we went back down to the pond. We braced for it, but nothing happened. Huh. So, so Bill, Bill is gone. Bill dies of uh, pancreatic cancer. 
And um, he's just uh, 32 years old. 30, 33. 33? Mm, 33. I think it might have been. Uh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Like I mean, 33, I think. Oh, well, maybe. I, I, mean, I might be wrong because I thought uh, he was 32. I mean, look. Uh, well, no, from six, December 61 to February of 94. So he didn't make it that far into 94. Yeah. So yeah, he, I think he made it into 32. the he made it into the year he would have turned thirty three. Right? Thirty two. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You that's all right. right. That's yeah. all right. That is absolutely mental when you think right. about the body of work and the effect that he had yeah. on comedy. He is yeah. that classic case of somebody who shot way he was, above. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a comedian more of his life than he was a regular person, which is yeah, crazy. yeah, <laughs> at, thir- at thirty two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So I have, I have a few more things to just a couple more things to to read uh jimmy pineapple got to speak at his uh funeral or at his at his service and uh apparently there was some sniggering when the priest talked about bill accepting jesus christ there was a little bit of the comics kind of rolling their eyes or whatever but Jimmy Pineapple said that he didn't he didn't flinch when that was mentioned because Bill's relationship to to Christ whatever you understand that to mean was genuine it just wasn't by the books. Bill did yeah. have a sense of justice and a sense of uh community and a sense of God but he was a questioner and he wasn't going to just accept uh the status quo or accept rote re- repeated garbage. He had to go look for himself. He was a seeker. Bill Hicks the seeker big time. Um so there's that. And then uh, we're going to give the final word to Bill here in a minute, but uh, he did tell Lori and here's what Lori had to say. Um, he left me till late. They had a lunch together. I think a, a lot about that lunch now because it's so strange to think retrospectively about it when you knew someone knew something like that and couldn't tell you. It was very funny because I had just met the man I ended up marrying and Bill asked me if I was seeing anyone. And I told him, I'll never forget. I told him that I had met this guy and I wasn't sure yet, but that he seemed to love me in a very genuine way. And Bill said, oh yeah, me too. He was talking about a woman named Colleen. I was very open with him. For some reason, I just completely opened up with Bill. I said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm attracted to him because I was having all these doubts. And he said, oh, it's the same with me and this woman, but there's something to one, there's something so wonderful about being loved that way. It's mm. so special. Mm. So it just sounds like he was just moving on. And the word is that just he, he did not want people to, uh, to start to change his behavior or change their behavior around him because he had the cancer. Mm. He wanted things to be as normal as possible until as long, <laughs> until as near to the end as it could yeah. possibly be. So he finally, he finally confessed to her that he was that he was uh, on his on his deathbed and uh, were dying. And wow. there you go. So I mean, this is a guy who, and I, I like that quote about him feeling that love. That, that's wonderful mm-hmm. because if there's anything yeah. that you maybe worry about, Bill, it's like was he ever able to feel that and to have that? And apparently he was, and that's very nice. Mm-hmm. And um, he also, like I said earlier, he he really made a bond with his mother. They always had one, but he he was he went home. He went home and he figured it out. So yeah. here's his, uh, here's his final uh, letter. And, <laughs> and then I have a few thoughts at the very end. And then we can talk about uh, what he'd be doing now. And then we'll talk about after dark, but here's his letter at the very end. This is what he left. 
I was born William Melvin Hicks on December 16th, 1961 in Valdosta, Georgia. Ugh. Melvin Hicks from Georgia. Yeehaw. I already had gotten off to life on the wrong foot. I was always awake, I guess you'd say. Some parts of me clamoring for new insights and new ways to make the world a better place. All of this came out years down the line in my multitude of creative interests that are the tools I now bring to the party, capital P party, writing, acting, music, comedy, a deep love of literature and books. Thank God for all the artists who've helped me. I've read these words and off I went. I'd read those words and off I went dreaming my own imaginative dreams, exercising them at will, eventually to form bands, comedy, more bands, movies, anything creative. This is the coin of the realm I use in my words, vision. On June 16th, 1993, I was diagnosed with having liver cancer that had spread from the pancreas, one of life's weirdest and worst jokes imaginable. I'd been making such progress recently in my attitude, my career, and realizing my dreams that it just stood me on my head for a while. Why me? I would cry out. And why now? Well, I know now there may never be any answers to those particular questions, but maybe in telling a little about myself, we can find some other answers to other questions. That might help our way down our own particular paths to realizing my dream of new hope and new happiness. Amen. I left in love, in laughter, and in truth. And wherever truth, love, and laughter abide, I am there in spirit. Mm. All right. All right. Yeah, Bill Hicks. There <laughs> we go. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he was heavy. He was heavy. But yeah. but hilarious. Yeah. And now yeah. I got to say, the joke is on Bill, though, because when I was watching that doc, or the documentary about Bill on Amazon, guess what yeah. they do in the middle of the documentary? Uh, they run ads in the middle of it in the, uh, in the, spe- in the special it, no in in the documentary about oh, Bill sorry. Hicks, yeah, yeah. amazon okay. and you can't skip through <laughs> these ads right oh, oh it's so, so cr- funny oh it makes me so angry <laughs> that's funny <laughs> well yeah i want to i want to thank you for coming on blake it's been you've really of added course. a lot to episode yeah. and hopefully you feel like you got a, a maybe a different sense of bill hicks or a chance to kind of yeah. re-engage with the material um you're at big rad M- machine on twitter and you have yes. a special coming out on amazon probably this coming summer right 2022 yeah yeah i don't get shot at the end of it or anything and uh <laughs> i uh, i don't i don't talk about anything heavy it's just a bunch of bullshit but it is uh but yeah man it's fun it's silly so check it out when it comes out yeah, we're looking forward to that, man. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Where do you? Well, I guess well, let's talk about it a little more on the uh, on the After Dark episode. For yeah, subscribe to the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Art of Dark Pod. Let's close this out with a classic Art of Darkness question. We always open the show and close the show in the same way, and we close the show by asking, and in this case, I'm going to ask you, Blake, if Bill Hicks was alive today. Well, we know he is. He's Alex Jones, but let's imagine <laughs> he's not Alex Jones. What would he be doing? Stand up. Uh, he would be doing uh, the most. I mean, that's uh, he would never have stopped. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He would be still doing hours and uh, I think hating a lot of <laughs> I think he would have a lot of commentary on social media. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like not on social media, but on about, about social media. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, I think that John Stewart would have never maybe had a job <laughs> 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 uh, if he was still alive. Uh, 
but I mean, they're very different, but uh, yeah. it's In just, Salah. you know, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I'll agree with that. So, what do you think? Yeah. What do you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think, I mean, he's, he's a, He's a guy, a guy like that. He was in love with that art form, right? So, yeah, he definitely yeah. would have. It's hard to say how he would have evolved. There's a lot of the one thing I noticed about Bill Hicks is like a lot of the stuff he was saying in his specials, it's all brilliantly done. Everything he did that was committed to recording was brilliantly performed. Some of it, I think isn't as provocative for us as it was probably at the time it's like we all kind of caught up to bill hicks in a way in terms of perspective so it would be interesting i I don't know exactly how he would have evolved because he would have stayed ahead of everybody a little bit i think and so yeah i'm not sure i think he would have he was certainly would have had a lot to say you know he would be a good twitter follow for sure yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but a guy yeah. like that's not, yeah, a guy like that has to be struck down by God, clearly, you know, right. uh, he's not, he's not stopping. Yeah. All right. Well, fellas, we're going to, we're going to pick this up on the after dark. I really enjoyed this. I got a ton out of it. I, and I'm just going to yeah. say, look, if, if you got a monkey on your back and you're a young person or at, at any age, really, and you feel like that monkey is preventing you from doing you know, greater things, look to someone like Bill Hicks and what he achieved tripping those mushrooms during the harmonic convergence and how all his great material that we enjoy now is a consequence of him pulling himself up out of the bottom. Mm -hmm. And now we all get to enjoy and the world is a better place for that. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for the dark side of artists on art of dark pod. Bill had a lot (laughs) of darkness and he wrestled with it, but I think he came out on the other side. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a shame that he's not around, Mm -hmm. uh, but like he said, wherever there's laughter, truth, you know, he is, he is around. So uh, mm. awesome, man. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Blake, thank you so much for yes. coming on. I can't, I can't wait to see right. your special. Do you, do you have a name for the special? What's it going to be called? Uh, I think I'm going to call it, I hate this and I want to die. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All I right. Think that's honestly what I'm going to call it. Because by the time it comes out, I am going to hate it. And oh yeah. I, you know what I mean? Because it's going to be like, that sucks. Like, yeah. you know, You've to me. you spent hundreds of hours with that material probably right. by then, exactly. right? exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking uh, up uh, I hate this and I want to die.com to see <laughs> <laughs> It is, and I'm going to buy it before you and your people can get it. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to my That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. All right. I'll catch you in the after dark. Thanks so much. All right, dude. Peace. Peace.